stand up, please? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O Good One. We've now come to part three of the series of the upbringing of children according to the newly canonized saints of Greece, Paisios and Porfirios. And I especially use those two saints because they lived very close to our times and therefore they understood and talked about the problems of today. So Saint Porfirios, I think, died in 1991 Saint Paisios in 1994, so they live close to us. Compared to, if you read some of the older saints, which of course they're still beneficial, but they didn't deal with these specific problems that we're dealing with in today's society. For example, if you read an ancient saint, they won't speak about TV, or they won't speak about contraception, as we know, which is very dangerous. They don't talk about those things because these issues weren't around in their time. But these two saints just lived very, very close, so they uh, speak about a whole range of things which are beneficial. Now, in the last talk, part two, that was a few months ago, uh, Joanne, I think, where is she, asked a question, and I think I mucked it up. She said, uh, what happens to the children who weren't brought up properly when they were young? And I answered from what St. Paisio said, the parents need to repent. But I think she meant what should the children do, which I think I mucked that up. But I'm going to um, answer that particular question. Especially, sometimes parents don't repent. Sometimes children grow up full of problems created by their parents and the parents, sometimes up to their grave, will never say sorry, will never acknowledge the damage that they've done. So St. Paisus says that if the parents repent, then God will help the children or the older children But what happens when they don't. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read that section again because it's very important uh, because St. Paisios gives us a lot of hope. And in the first talk, I was going to read that, but then I got sick towards the end and I had to cut the talk. That means that the first talk might have sounded a bit hopeless, might have, even though most people said they loved that one. And then the second talk, I did go through it. And in this talk, I think it's going to be, if we can use the word worse, 
worse in the sense of it's going to be revealing and quite upsetting for many people. So I think we need to start the talk off with this and then we move on. St. Paisu says, children pay for the mistakes their parents make. Some parents destroy their children, but God is not unjust. In other words, God is not unfair. Because it's like someone can say, well, it wasn't my fault that my parents caused a lot of damage to me. That means God's unfair. But St. Paisus is saying, no, God is not unjust, not unfair. He has great and special love for those children who have been wronged in this world either by their parents or by others. He does acknowledge others, but most of the, the damage that happens to children is from the parents themselves. So he says, when parents are the reason why children take the wrong path in life, God will not abandon them, will not abandon the children, in other words, for they are entitled to divine help. God is obligated, they are entitled, that 100% God will help those children who weren't brought up properly and who were damaged. God will provide so that the children are helped. For example, we see some young persons, even older ones, suddenly turn their lives around. What he means by that is you see, probably the room, the, the hall's full of them tonight, including myself, people who weren't brought up in the church and yet through divine providence, through special care from God, these people return to the church even though their parents taught them nothing, like my parents taught me nothing. And probably the same for many of you, taught nothing. Some of you might have been taught the Our Father. Some of you went to church a couple of times. But in general, there was no Christian education. There was no Christian upbringing. There was nothing. Most of us were brought up in front of the TV. The TV was really our parents. And the TV can't teach us proper things. And then he goes on that we are entitled, it says. What does it say here? Entitled to divine help. I've seen people who were orphans, who a lot of the children came to the church, people that were really badly damaged come to the church, etc. So it's, that happens all the time. And when St. Paisa says, or others... For example, like Russia, during the communist times, even if the parents were religious, it was compulsory to send their children to school. And then in school, they would teach them atheism and all these things. And what do we see after 70 years of the most intense communism? I suppose Albania was worse, but in the most intense communism, now millions of people are returning to the church in Russia, even though they had their souls destroyed by the communists. Then he goes on. Now, a person asks him a question. Elder, some parents who embarked on spiritual life at an advanced age regret that they didn't give their children a Christian upbringing when they were young. So here, the person's asking parents who were not religious when they were younger didn't bring up their children properly, the children have now gone or got married or whatever, They're all, and now these parents turn to the church 
And now that they've turned to the church, they're saying, what have we done? We didn't bring up our children properly. My mother had the same thing just before she got very sick. The more she changed and then she started reading more and then she realised that she didn't bring us up, four of us, in any way, in a Christian way, in an orthodox way. So these parents later on regret what they did. Then the saint answers, if these parents have true repentance and beg God to help their children, God will do something for them. He will throw them a lifesaver to help them escape the storm they're in. The storm who's in? The storm that their children are in because they weren't brought up properly. So therefore, they are going through life with no Christian upbringing, no understanding of what God wants, God's law, and therefore they're in like in a storm because whoever doesn't have God's law in their minds, whoever doesn't practice the commandments, uh, they're in storms continually, they're lost. Now you might say, but we see Orthodox Christians who lead Christian lives, they get sick, that's different. They go through things, but they go through it in a Christian way. So we have two people. One person has a family where someone's got cancer, another person's got a family who's got cancer. This person's religious. They deal with it in a religious way. They don't crumble. And these people who aren't in the church deal with it in a crazy way. So he goes on. Even if there are no people who will be there to help or guide their children... It may be that something they will see will contribute to turning their lives around and out of the storm, which is most of us. We all have our own stories. How did we change? I changed when I went to a funeral. Others changed differently. Maybe someone spoke to you. Maybe you went to a holy place in Greece or Russia or Serbia and you might have seen a miracle. Other people change because of circumstances in their life. They were lost. They were in a really bad situation. And even though they weren't religious, they did a prayer, then God helped them, and that could change. There are so many ways that God... Someone can read a book, a, a religious book. Someone might read the Bible and change. So God has ways to make people change through sicknesses, through depression. Some people who were demonically... had demonic problems, ran to the church after running probably to magicians and all these other people and they found peace and help in the church. So there's many different ways. So keep in mind that those parents had good intentions, those parents who didn't bring up their children properly, they had good intentions but they weren't helped by their family when they were young And so they're entitled to divine help, meaning the parents. So, parents who didn't bring up their children properly probably weren't brought up themselves properly. And then their parents weren't brought up. So it's like a vicious cycle. And so therefore, because of this ignorance, etc., then St. Paisio says that the parents are also entitled to divine help, not just the children, but the parents as well. Now, I got an email from someone from Canada and she heard the talks and she made some comments, which I'm going to read and because it helps us to maybe think of 
how you yourself reacted. So this person wrote a lot of things, but I'll just put a few things. Thank you for Talk 70. I found a lot of truth in what was said and have personally experienced it or have seen it happen to people close to me growing up. What happened happened. With God's help, I can move on from it, but I feel a lot of relief in just being able to know, to acknowledge that some of my emotional and mental problems do stem from childhood. So she said, what happened happened. She wasn't brought up properly. Her parents made many mistakes. But she has some relief knowing, understanding, like I'm dealing with a young person now, a young lady, about 20, 21. She's in a mess. And you've got to sit down and explain to the person what's happening to understand that your problems come from the way you were brought up or other situations, maybe the school, whatever, whatever else. You've got to ask questions and then slowly, slowly help the person to understand why they've got emotional problems, why they react like that, why they have some bad thoughts, etc. And when you explain things to people, a lot of times with prayer, a lot of times these people come down. So this woman here is saying that she now understands that her problems come from the way she was brought up. And she said, one thing that also really helped me is when you said that if someone's disorder arose from their childhood and how their parents treated them, those same parents received their disorder from their parents and so on. It becomes a cycle until someone finally tries to give their children the true Orthodox Christian upbringing and there is a lot of hope to be taken from that. I think a lot of people that I've spoken to, when they come to the church and realise a lot of their passions and their problems, they realise a lot of it's from their parents. Now, some become angry and some attack their parents and say, it's because of you, I'm crazy, it's because of you, I've got these problems, it's because of whatever, whatever. And St. Paisus is saying, don't blame the parents because they weren't brought up properly. And probably their parents weren't brought up properly. So we have to be careful um, that, and, and also that we can break the cycle, perhaps, by either not getting married and producing children that would be damaged. So if a person's really damaged, then usually they can't get married because then they will cause problems for their children and then the cycle goes on and on and on. Now, some of you might find that harsh, but I'm a firm believer in that. Now, there are people who say, oh, even nuns, monks, priests even might say, you either get married or you become a monastic. There's no in-between. You can't stay single in the world. You've got to get married or you must become a monastic. That's a stupid comment. Why is it stupid? I used to believe that too, but what woke me up was I went to Greece and... I knew a lady over there who took me to a very holy priest, priest monk, who was the chaplain of a hospital, because in Greece they have Orthodox priests who take care of the faithful. So I went and I noticed that this lady that took me, I was around 33 at the time, so she must have been around 40. She wasn't married. And when I went there, I noticed other women there, 
40, 45, 50, or single, or single, and with a lot of problems, I have to say. Uh, and um, this lady that I went with mentioned to the holy person who's now, they have menials, his name is, I think they're saying that he is a, probably will be canonised a saint. I think it was the lady I was with, said to him, oh, so-and-so, Catherine, let's make up her name, Catherine wants to get married. And then the saint says, what for? What does she want to go and do that for? I was shocked because I was thought, why is he doing that for? I, I thought that you've got to get married or you've got to become a, a monastic. And then through experience, because I only just became a priest then, but after, now I've been a priest for 25 years, didn't take me long after a few years to work out that there are a lot of people who are so damaged that they can't get married. Now, one lady that I was trying to help, and she said to me that she wants to get married. And I said to her, in the condition that you're in, with so many problems, medication, psychiatrists, etc., you can't do that. And she goes, are oh, you saying I never can get married? No, I'm saying that you need a number of years to struggle within the church, and you need to get help outside, like psychiatric help, take a few years to improve. And then slowly you will see whether you're strong enough mentally to be able to take on the great weight of marriage. Because people today think marriage is the same as, okay, let's go to the church and get married or let's go to McDonald's and have a Big Mac. They think it's the same thing, it's like nothing. Oh, I'm going to get married. But that's not how it is. And today, unfortunately, the clergy do not specify, do not actually say, you, as the saints say, you need to be mentally and physically strong to be able to endure a marriage, to be able to have a marriage. Like in the ancient times, in the olden times, people would look, say, if a, a woman would look at a man and say, is he healthy? Can he work? Will he ever be able to support me? Today people say, who cares? If he goes on the, we go on the dole, we live as long as we're happy. That doesn't work. Usually they separate. The man might look at the woman and say, she's weak, she's mental, she's got problems, but it doesn't matter because we're in love. But after a few months when he starts losing weight because no one's cooking at home, then he realises that, uh, and she can't take care of the children, then he realises that that's not really good criteria just because we're in love. A lot of people marry just because they're in love and it doesn't work. So um, this young lady that I said, that she got very upset with me because I said that she shouldn't get married, and I didn't rule it out, I just said, until you see... Anyway, after a few years where she struggled, and she was struggling, doing her Christian life, getting help from counsellors if she wanted, that's what she wanted to do. And after a few years, she said, thank you. I go, what for? She goes, thank you for stopping me. Thank you for discouraging me to get married. At that time, I wouldn't have been able to keep the marriage. I said, now, you might need three years, four years, five years. After five years, after six years, after seven years, you might find that you still can't get married. I have a lot of women, some men, but a lot of women 
who thank me all the time and say thank you for discouraging me because one woman said to me, I wouldn't have been able to bring up kids. I can't stand kids. Another woman said, I wouldn't be able to keep the marriage because I'd probably um, scratch the eyes out of my husband. So these are facts. These are not jokes. So, knowing a little bit about why we're the way that we are is important. Now, some might say, but St. Paul says in one of his epistles that if someone cannot hold themselves sexually, they must get married because they're not allowed to fornicate. Fornicate means having sex outside of marriage. So um, St. Paul does say that. He says, better to marry than to burn in passion. Now, some might say, you see, that shows that you're wrong because you're saying that the single person, you should stay unmarried. What happens if they've got sexual problems? What happens if they have needs? Is it okay for them to fall outside of marriage? And the answer to that question is, when St Paul gave that advice, he's speaking about people who were strong in the sense of were able to hold a marriage. He didn't give that advice for people that are not well. If the person falls, trying to keep single, if that person falls, then his sin is his own or her own. But if you get married and cause a hell for your one, two, three or four children, you're going to give word. So if you fall as a single person, you'll give word for your own sin. But when you get married and destroy your family, you're going to give word for the spouse that you destroyed and all the children that you destroyed. So therefore, better, I'll say, better to fall as a single person than to destroy your family, which is a bigger sin. The fathers say, sometimes you have... You are confronted with two sins. The saints always say, choose the lesser one. Sometimes you just can't, there's no way up. So you choose the lesser one. The lesser one is the person to struggle, and if they fall now and then, then they fall, repent, get up, before repent, get up, ask God forgiveness. This one of having a family and being dysfunctional and not being able to take care of your children or your spouse, whatever, is a disaster. And we see the effect of that today in society whereby half the marriages end up in divorce. Children that are uh, affected so much, people think, oh, well, they get married. Oh, they're really strong. They understand that we just couldn't live together. No, they don't. They don't. I've got people who were telling me as teenagers they were so upset at the fact that their parents might divorce or when their parents did divorce. It made them sick. It affected them a lot. So that's all silliness. Okay, now... There's one more scenario that St. Paisius talks about. Someone asks him, Elder, some children have a spiritual life but encounter many difficulties caused by their indifferent parents. That means that some children 
do lead, want to live Christian lives, even when their parents don't believe or don't care. Some, some change when they're teenagers. I've had a few situations where I had some people that changed around 16 and their parents went berserk, some went to magicians, some uh, persecuted their kids. And others that were 21, 22, still living at home, and the parents were telling them, no, you don't go to church, you don't do this, you, don't, you, you know, you, they were persecuting them. Strange, strange things. And um, St. Paisus says, just as he does for orphans, God shows more care for these children than he does for those whose parents live a spiritual life. Even God takes care of them. Even those children that are brought up with atheist parents or parents that are just don't want to have a church life, could be orthodox, and they're persecuting their children, God, it says, will take care of them more than those children who were brought up by spiritual parents. So the summary is children who were damaged by their parents are entitled to divine help. Parents who regret that they didn't give their children a proper upbringing but show true repentance and ask God to help their children, God will help both the parents and the children. Children who lead a Christian life but their indifferent parents become an obstacle causing many difficulties in their life are shown more care by God than those children whose parents brought them up in the faith. St. Paisius didn't leave, I think, any scenarios. And he gives hope for everyone and that God is full of love, even though we sometimes think in our limited mind, no, he's not fair, he's not fair. Never say God is not fair because that's blasphemy. Now, Father Seraphim Rose, who has not been canonised as a saint as yet, um, but he died in the 1980s. He was a convert to orthodoxy, very, very uh, holy person, read a lot of books. I found something there. It says, few are those today who can clearly express their emotions and ideas and face them in a mature way. That's what I'm trying to say. There are few who can really express what they feel what they're thinking, and face these problems in a mature way. Many do not even know what is going on inside themselves. Many don't even know what's going on inside themselves. So, a lot of people, when you say, so how do you feel? So I met a fellow once around 16, and um, I said to him, so how do you feel? And he went like that. And then I knew that this person's damaged. I must be damaged, for sure. And I found out that at four months old, his mother took him to um, some woman to take care of him, like a childcare thing. Not a proper childcare, but a childcare place. Four months old. And this woman had a lot of children. So who can show that child love? We're gonna go more into that in a minute. And others who were taken to these places of one month old, a couple of months old, and they weren't shown love, hardly breastfed. And we will see today that this is the cause for these type of problems that St. Father Seraphim Rose is saying, few are those today 
who can clearly express their emotions and ideas and face them in a mature way. So, for example, we have an emotion. We feel jealous or we feel angry or we feel whatever. So if a person is mature, if a person is not being damaged to a large extent, he looks at that and deals with it, tries to deal with it. But when a person is damaged, then these feelings, these ideas, these think for thoughts, these feelings in them, they don't know what's going on in them. And some of them have outbursts, some of them become depressed, etc. And um, that's what I was trying to say up the top. People like, how are they going to get married? So we've got a situation where we've got, say, a husband and a wife. The, the wife does something wrong and the husband goes berserk. Oh, screaming, shouting, this and that. And he goes, and you did that and this and that, whatever. And I say to the uh, wife, that's not why he's angry. He's not angry because of that. Something else. Something else is behind it. See, it sounds like it sounds like legitimate, even though you shouldn't scream and shout, but let's just say it sounds like legitimate, oh, you did something that was dangerous with the child. They might say, oh, you left the child there and he could have fallen off the bed. But that's happened other times, he doesn't care. So why does he care now? And we go and examine and examine and examine and you get out, what? That he's upset because when he came home from work, she was on the phone and didn't turn around, put the phone down and say, how are you, how was your work today, etc. So she just waved. And he got bothered. His emotions went haywire. And he started punching walls and going crazy. These pe people can't get married. I was at a house once. I went for a visit. This, some, someone drove me. And we went to a house to do holy water. I can't remember back in my younger years. And the father was there on the couch. And he had around three kids. They were jumping on him, kissing them, kissing him. He was kissing them, hugging, etc. And I looked at the person that I was with, um, kind of sidewards, didn't want to make it obvious, and to me he looked like he was snarling, you know, going like he was repulsed. Anyway, I wasn't sure, I didn't trust myself, so when we got in the car I said, oh, how did you feel when you saw so-and-so doing what he did? Did it move you? Did you have the thought, oh, I wish I can have children, what a beautiful thing, that, what a nice scene that was, which was a nice scene. And he said, not at all. Nothing. I said, you had nothing. Not one good jealousy. You know, good jealousy. You know, like, I want to be like, I like to have that situation. He said, not at all. And I said, never get married. Never get married. Because you will not be able to show your children love. And if you can't show your children love, they're dead meat. That's it. They're finished. So, what did he do? He got married. He got married and later on his children became dead meat because he couldn't show love. He found it so excruciating to show love. 
So, um, because some of you might get upset and say, oh, how dare you say that people shouldn't get married? You can do whatever you want. I'm telling you, you've come here for advice. I'm trying to give the advice from my experience and trying to work it in with what the saints say. You don't like it? Press eject. That's it. Get rid of it. Don't worry about it. You do what you want, like, like, like that guy did. Now, Father Seraphim goes on where he says, despite their background, these people that are damaged, many survive as orthodox. Many survive. That word survive is a bit negative. You know, like they kind of make it as orthodox Christians. While others come to some spiritual disaster because of their background, because of their bad background. But a good number remain crippled or at least spiritually underdeveloped because they are simply unprepared for and unaware of the real demands of spiritual life. So I'm going to go through those three things that he said. The first one. Despite their background, many survivors orthodox. In other words, they progress. They can pray. They can, they can deal with their problems in a spiritual way. They can repent. They can um, live a spiritual life to some extent. Not like the ancients, like lived in older times, because there's a lot of damage, TV, music. But there's something there they can do. The second group, he says, a good number remain crippled or at least spiritually undeveloped because they are simply unprepared for and unaware of the real demands of spiritual life. So what those people have noticed are those who, they go to church, they, they call themselves orthodox, they do try, but they can't lead spiritual lives. They can't pray. When they start praying, there's something comes on their head, they just can't. Um, not aware of themselves, they can't confess properly, they can't repent, they have difficulties, but they still try in their own ways. But as Father Seraphim says, they're crippled, disabled. The third group, which he says, while others come to some spiritual disaster because of their background, in other words, those are people who fall away from the church either because... Um, they completely can't repent. They don't even have any regret. They, um, they might go to some Eastern religions. They might become atheists, go to a heretical church or something like that. In other words, there's no orthodoxy in those people. Now, I'm going to list some of the negative words that St. Paisus and Father Seraphim said. St. Paisa said, some parents destroy, underline, destroy their children. Very harsh word. Then another one. Those children who have been wronged in this world by their parents or others, wronged, negative word. The storm that the children are in, storm. And the last one, many difficulties caused by their indifferent parents, difficulties. Now we go to Father Seraphim. What words did he use? One, spiritual disaster. Remained, remain crippled. Spiritually underdeveloped. Can't clearly express their emotions. 
Both of these holy people are expressed in very negative words. To do with people of the way they've been brought up. So what did the parents do to their children to create the problems that St. Paisios and Father Seraphim Rose describe with such negative expressions? What did they do? What did these parents do to create these problems? Well, let's see. Father Seraphim, in the section I just read of Father Seraphim, he didn't actually say who's to blame, but we know from his other writings he does blame the upbringing, the parents and society. St. Porfirios, let's see what he says. If the mother doesn't want the child, this is a woman who's pregnant, if the mother doesn't want the child, if she doesn't love it, then the embryo senses this and traumas are created in its soul that stay with it all its life. I read this in the first talk and the second talk and I won't stop reading it. When a mother does not love the child that's in her, then that child senses that and he uses the word, and I underlined it, trauma. This causes trauma in the child and the embryo senses this and traumas are created in its little soul that stay with it, and I underlined, all its life. Very important for the mother to have that love for the child. Now, when the mother is pregnant, which is difficult, she can't move properly, she gets tired easily, she can have a serious problem like diabetes comes around, all these other these things. So a woman does, depending on, the, on her strength and her health, a woman does suffer somewhat during pregnancy. This creates a negative association. The child causes suffering, therefore the child's at fault, therefore... I don't want the child or I wish I can just give birth to that child or just all these things. This is all negative. And this is made worse when the mothers work because you're already tired. You're already having hormonal problems, you know, like all these um, changes in your body. Legs hurt. And at the same time, you're going to work. You've got the stress of work the stress of getting to work, whether you use transport or car in the traffic, and this adds, and then you wonder why women later on have postnatal depression, which is well, what they call them in America, postpartum. It's a lot of negative, a lot of suffering. A pregnancy, a pregnancy should be somewhat a happy time. When the, when the mother's that busy, say she is working and she's got to come home, and then do more work, and she's pregnant at the same time, to me, that's torture. She wouldn't even have time or the energy to even show love to the embryo. I think what she would do is she would show somewhat dislike. I remember one woman who was really not well during the pregnancy and uh, working and didn't listen, and um, I remember that she said, I just want this child out. I want it out. And when that child was born, she had no relationship with the child. There was no bonding. Because that child equaled suffering for her. So why do it? Now, some of you might say, but I've got to work. My husband gets low money. Well, St. Paisio says, you can survive on one salary if you don't have all the special effects, like 
big plasma television that takes up the whole wall, or a swimming pool, or this and makeup and all these, all these things that are unnecessary. Not necessary. So if you eliminate a lot of those things, you say, oh, no, but I, wanna, I don't want to give up my good, my good things of life. Okay, but you prefer the child to be traumatised. That's your choice. But then you come crying later on, I've got no feeling for my child. Or she never, or he never comes and talks to me. Some parents say that to me. My child never talks to me. And I go through, okay, let's go through your pregnancy. Let's go through your first years, especially the first two years. What did you do? This, this, this. I said, that, that's why your child doesn't come talk to you. And it never will. It will never open up to you. It doesn't trust you. And plus, these things are all... I found all these things that I'm saying all backed up in secular sources by psychologists and professors, and they actually say all these things. Like, for example, childcare. Remember last time when I said a Greek philosopher, this father, took his child to the philosopher and said, I want you to bring up my child, you know, to teach it, to bring it up properly and um, in, in the Greek philosophy. And then the philosopher said, how old is the child? And he said, know, three or something. Because too late. First two years. And then I found, after last talk, someone, Alexia, I think, came up to me with a pamphlet about TV and children. And in big letters there, they say, children under two should not watch television at all. At all. Because it damages them badly. And I've got stuff on that too. It actually affects their brain and it doesn't allow them to develop emotionally. And there's no... Anyway, that's a whole catastrophe. That's why children who watch television from very young, from babies, and there was one research person that said it damages the baby 100%. I believe that it should be longer than that because um, then you've got the moral things. So you might not damage the child maybe physically, etc., but you're damaging the child uh, in different ways by the child looking at things, etc. Anyway, let's pick to the two years old. Then I read on the childcare that most people are saying now, children should not go to childcare under two at all, 100% under two. The feminists say, yes, you can. You can even take it um, after you give birth, take it straight away. They'll be really happy with that. But under two... So, television under two, no. Childcare under two, no. The Greek philosopher under two, that's when he wanted the child because that's when the child develops. And another under two was breastfeeding. Remember when I said that even St. Paisio said at least women should breastfeed the minimum two years old and even the World Health Organization said the same. Two, 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 two. That's the most important time. You don't succeed in the first two years, you will not succeed at all. So St. Porfirios says that the child is traumatised when the mother doesn't love the child. St. Porfirios, whatever the mother experiences, sorrow, pain, fear, anxiety, etc., is also experienced by the embryo, is also experienced. What does it experience? What happens to the embryo? I put in brackets, experienced, traumatised. St. Paisius, if a pregnant mother is agitated and worried, 
the embryo she's carrying in her womb is agitated, brackets, traumatised. I put the traumatised in. St. Porfirios, to parents, he would often say the following, you are at fault, it's you that's to blame, you and your husband, but most of all you, meaning the, the, meaning the mother, you traumatise the children. So parents would come and say, oh, our children do this, our children misbehave, our children's got this problem, and that and that, and he would say, it's your fault. St. Paisios, parents don't treat their children with affection and love. And this is why their children may have psychological problems later. So, if parents don't treat their children with affection and love, how are they treating them? As we're going to see today, I found the opposites for those in the dictionary. Harshly, unlovingly, neglectfully. And when you do that to children, you create in them psychological problems. St. Porfirio says, a psychological state is created in a child as a result of its parents that accompanies it throughout its life. Again, throughout the life. See how serious this is? And then you say, oh, what a horrible priest that he tells me. He said that because I've got some mental problems, I can't get married. Well, look, at the, look at the responsibilities. Look at the effects. A psychological state is created in a child as a result of its parents, the way the parents treated the child. And this accompanies it throughout its entire life. And hence why today people have a lot of problems which comes from childhood. St. Porfirios, it's later behaviour and its relationship with others are directly connected with the experiences that it carries with it from childhood years. The way this adult acts with people, the relationships that he or she has, a lot of it's bad. It says all these come from the traumas that the child has gone through from young. And it's carried on for years. The child grows up and develops, but deep down it does not change. This could be seen even the smallest expression of their life. I thought about this. What does he mean by they grow up and develop, but deep down it does not change? This is a bit embarrassing, but I'll tell you. So we have a boy who was brought up, say, traumatised a lot because of its upbringing, it's growing up. So when they're young, sometimes you don't pick it up. But when they start getting older, you start seeing that this is not normal. So you've got a child who's growing up, you've got problems, but no one really picks up. Then all of a sudden he starts going through puberty. Puberty. So he has hair under its arms, it like starts growing facial hair. So he's growing up and then he acts like a baby. Like has tantrums like a baby. Doesn't know how to relate to people. Can't speak to people can't deal with life, becomes crushed every time something negative happens. And that's why you hear women say, oh, my husband's like a big baby. What does she mean by that, that he's like a big baby? 
and I deal with this all the time, and that he, he acts childish, immature, irresponsible, doesn't take the, the, the seriousness of his children's upbringing, reacts in a silly way, like you're very emotional, things like that. That's what it means. And as they grow up, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, and you see it. You see adults which are old. Some are even grandparents. And they're still acting like children. That's what he means. I used to say they're emotionally stunted. They don't grow emotionally. Something's wrong. And that's why our saints say, before you get married, like I said in talk 12, examine who you're marrying. Now, Father Emilianos, the abbot of Simono Petra Monastery in Manathos, if you remember, some of you have heard talk 12, he, he said, when you see a man that constantly runs to his parents or he's like a baby, etc., he says, run away from him, don't get married to him. And the same for a woman because they're not going to be able to carry a marriage. St. Paisios says, this is about breastfeeding, he says that their heart, meaning the children, is chilled as they are fed from a chilled bottle. So I explained this last time, which was even though you have given your child warm milk, he calls it a chilled bottle. Not because the milk is cold, because the bottle itself emanates coldness. There's no love in a bottle compared to when a woman is breastfeeding the child. So he says their heart, the baby's heart, the child, is chilled, becomes cold. In other words, it doesn't acquire love as it's fed from a cold bottle. You see, children don't only receive milk. They also receive, during breastfeeding, love, consolation, tenderness, and security. In this way, they also develop a strong character and become strong in soul. Now, why I put that there is the following. If the children, according to St. Paisus, if the children don't receive tenderness, that's love, and all the other things he says, consolation, security, then what happens to those children? St. Paisus goes on. If children don't receive tenderness, they won't have any to pass on to their children. And that's what I was trying to say at the beginning of the talk, where some of you might have got upset. And he says it becomes a cycle. Children who did not receive love can't give love. And that's why I've noticed that there are a lot of parents who can't love their children. And they've told me this. When they really become honest with themselves, they say, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't show love. There was one father, that, I mean, he had a few children, and I was telling him for many years, show love, show love, show love, show love, and he just refused to do it. And um, or he just couldn't do it or whatever, he just didn't want to try. And what happened was I delved a little bit into his past and it turned out that he was belted from very young age, just continually. Whatever he'd done wrong, he was belted. Then he did something else wrong, belted. Now, I'll tell you an example. So he's walking along in his house and he didn't realise that the sliding door was closed. He thought it was... It's happened a lot to us. We actually 
don't know that, that, that it's shut, that, that, that it's glass. So this little child walks into the door and smashes his face onto the door. And what did the father do? The father got up and he consoled him and hugged him, only joking. He got up and he belted him. He says, why did you make that mistake? So that person, how's he going to get married? So officially, he shouldn't have got married either because he's damaged. And he says, I can't do it. I can't feel for my children. So what I'm trying to say is that if a child does not get through the breast milk, love, consolation, tenderness and security, what does it get? Oh, it says here, if they do get it, they develop a strong character. So therefore, I'm saying if they don't get it, they have a weak character. Weak, can't take anything. Stress, got to be on pills, continue or drink alcohol. And become strong in soul. And if that's if they get, and if they don't get it, what happens to them? They become weak in soul. So in a way, to me, they're traumatised. They're damaged. Now, some of you might say, well, I tried to breastfeed, it didn't work. That's different. I'm talking about people who just don't want to breastfeed because, one, it distorts their breasts, whatever they think. I don't know. That's what they think. And, um, and others, they say, oh, it's too much trouble. The child will be dependent on me. This way I can go out, I can go to work, and they can just give it a bottle. And, um, well, you can do that. You're free. Civil liberties, you can do that. But, but as he says here, and I'll say it, then the mothers... I'll read that sentence again. If children don't receive tenderness, they won't have any to pass on to their children. It becomes a cycle, like I said earlier. Then the mothers come to me and cry... Father, pray for me. I'm losing my child. Now, some of you will say, this is just too heavy. This can't be correct. This is not what the feminists taught us. The feminists don't care at all about you. The feminists have done the most damage to women, apart from equal rights and equal pays, etc., and the right to vote, but... That was good. But after that, they went haywire. Feminists don't want you to breastfeed. Feminists don't want you to even have children. Feminists love when you have abortions. Feminists don't want you to, to, to not work. They want you to work, have a career, be important, not to stay home and change nappies and give your breast all the time for the child to be fed. That's all to them. That's all horrible. And now it's all coming out. It's all being exposed slowly, but the feminists are very upset. The truth about breastfeeding, the truth about oral contraception, that it really causes abortion and actually kills women. Uh, it actually affects their health a lot and future children that they have. The truth's coming out about daycare, and the truth's coming out about the babysitters that women you'd like to use and, uh, and fathers. Which babysitters? The television. It's a babysitter. Cheap. You pay nothing. Just leave the child there while it gets brain damaged. Actually, one investigation said that while the baby's watching TV, the heart is reacting in such a way which is similar to when a person's 
going to have a heart attack. From a website on child development, a strong mother-child bond in the first 24 months is crucial. Again, there's that magic two years. A strong mother-child bond in the first 24 months is crucial for children's socio-emotional development in later life. If a baby does not bond properly with its mother during this time, it faces increased risks of experiencing certain problems during childhood which can have flow-on effects that persist into adulthood. Children that weren't taken care of and have that mother-bond relationship in the first two years, these children have psychological problems which flow on to adulthood, which I'll explain today. These can include anxiety, depression, and general adverse psychological well-being, which are all likely to negatively affect the quality of a person's relationships with others, in other words, and by extension, every area of their life. So don't get upset, because I know some of you, if, if a priest says it, nah, we can't believe it. But if a university study says it, well, they've got the authority. If I say to you, this toothpaste is really good, you say, what do you know? But if it's been clinically tested in university, then you'll buy it. This is because we've been brainwashed. So that's why I use secular, mix it in, secular means from the world, psychologists and all that, mix it in to show that what the saints are saying agrees 100% with what is said in the world. Now you might say, did those saints read these things? And I tell you, no. I think that from what I can see, they were just enlightened. They're enlightened. Now, this is my note. Remember that breastfeeding promotes mother-baby bonding and a healthy emotional development of the baby. And that's why St. Paisio says, as much as possible. In his village, women used to breastfeed up to six years old. And then a person came to him who the woman worked, for whatever reason, he didn't, they didn't say, and the saint says, mm, at least three to four. But she's really weak, she's, she's not very well, and the doctor said that she shouldn't breastfeed anymore because it's really affecting her. And obviously if she's going to work and things like that, it, I think it would affect her. But maybe she had a physical problem. And then Saint Paisius thought about it, prayed in his mind, and he says, at least two years. Even though she was sick, he actually said, at least two years. Stick with it, at least two years. The exact number said by everyone else in the world. The best is as much as possible. I, got, I know women who breastfed to five years, to children to five years old. Good, it's good. There's a bond. There's a bond. That bond will always stay. That's not true. You say, that's not true. That can't be true because I wasn't breastfed, but I'm close to my mum. I don't know if that's uh, true. I don't really believe it. I'll give you an example. A woman that I met, 
and um, I was helping her with some problems, and she said, I feel nothing for my mother, nothing at all. I said, why is that? Because I don't know. I just feel nothing. There's some reason for that, I said, but at that time I didn't really understand this bonding business as well. I was a bit young. And um, I'm not saying I'm an expert now, but I understand a bit better now. And then, as time went on, because she wasn't living with her father, she was living in another state, she was saying to me, I don't know why, but when I think of my father, I start crying. And I said, why do you start crying for? Because I don't know. I just start crying. When I think of my father, I start crying. So I knew that this, is, this person's got a lot of deep problems. And I said to her, I think I've worked it out for you. Your father took care of you when you were young. Because no, my mother did. I said, no, your father did. Your, your, your mother didn't take care of you. Your father did. I said, go and do some Sherlock Holmes and go and ask. So she went home and the father goes to her, oh, your mother wanted to go back to work straight away. You went to daycare around one to two months. At one to two months old, you were going to daycare and then I would pick you up because your mum wanted to work double time to get more money, to buy a lot of houses. One's not enough, she had to buy a lot. And he said, I would then bring you home, I would feed you, I would bathe you, I would sit with you, I would put you to bed. And I said, there it is. That's why you got that relationship with your father. And I said, how about your mother? She goes, I feel nothing. I don't know, I just feel nothing. And she has no guilt that she feels nothing. So you might say, oh, but that's only anecdotal. That's just a little example. It's not. I'll give you another example. A woman that I was dealing with said to me, um, I, don't, I, I actually noticed, because when I would talk to her about her mother, I noticed her face changes and all that. I said, do you know that you've got a problem with your mother? She goes, no, I haven't. I go, you do? I think you really, I, th I think you've got hate for your mother. And she goes, I don't. I don't. And her, okay. A couple of years later, she goes, I think you're right. I can't stand her. I feel nothing for her. Actually, I wish that she could die so she can be, I don't have to deal with her because she gives me anxiety. And then, and then, she said that when she was young, her father went to Greece. And then as a child, as a very young child, she used to go in the bedroom, get the father's clothes, sit there crying and smelling his clothes. And I said to her, he took care of you when you were young. That's why you feel nothing for your mother. He took care of you. She goes, really? I go, yeah. She went back, she asked, and what happened was that she had a brother, and the brother was sickly, a little brother that was a bit older than her. So the brother was always in hospital. And who had to be in hospital with him? The mother. So who would take care of this girl? The father. The father took care of her when she was a baby, especially the first couple of years, which is when her brother was very sick. The mother hardly saw the child. And you might say, oh, that's just two examples. I have another hundred if you want. I can sit here all night, but there are many, many, many. They're all the same. All the same. One more. A young man. And he said to me, I don't like my father. I said, why? 
oh, he's a bum, he's irresponsible, he never took care of us when we were young, etc. My mother was really good and all that. I said, okay. But as he grew older, I noticed that he would say, oh, I don't like speaking to my mother. There was no relationship. He talked to his father, still had troubles a little bit, talked to the father more. So that's very, very interesting. What's going on here? Because I, I love studying these things. And um, it's a passion. So, a good passion. And uh, anyway, it, to cut a long story short, even though he did grow up not liking his father because of the way the father was irresponsible, a gambler, alcoholic, I don't know what he was, he didn't take care of him. But later on, towards the end of the father's life, he felt closer to him. And I said to him, do you know why you feel closer? I said, because he brought you up. Because you feel nothing for the mother, but you do feel for him. Even though all your years you said he was a bum, but now you're saying that you feel, that I can tell there's a, there's a kind of bomb there. Something happened when you were young. And it turned out that mummy dearest wanted to do overtime and work and work and take the child to the daycare and who would pick it up after? The father. So the father would bring, would bring the child home, fed the child, bathed the child, etc. Even though later on he changed and became a bum, but the deep, deep down, he was the one that they had the bond with, not with the mother. You might say, well, you're just putting down the women all the time. It's, every example is against the mother tonight. Because the mother is the most important person in the first few years of the child's life. Doesn't matter what the feministers tell you. Doesn't matter what they tell you. It doesn't matter. Oh, the father can take care. The father's going to breastfeed it. So that's why the saints say the mother is the most important person in the child's life. Now, I think I don't know what I got up to. It says, um, yeah, so the child who has not had this mother bonding relationship will have trust issues, which even the psychologists say, such that the child will not open up or seek any guidance or help from the mother. This means that the child will probably grow up and go through life on its own, its own mind, its own world, which can be very traumatic because all children need some help to go through life. That's what you're there for, to help the child deal with problems, etc., console the child. But if the child's not going to trust you, not going to want to come near you, that child's trying to work it all out by, by themselves, and that's why later on they go on drugs and alcohol, to be able to cope with the pain that they're feeling. Because the child does not emotionally develop in a healthy way with the help of the mother, the words of Father Seraphim make sense. Few are those today who can clearly express their emotions and ideas and face them in a mature way. I put to you that the reason why a lot of these problems occur is from the first few years of the child's life, which is very important. Now, someone might say, oh, but sounds like you're trying to say that women shouldn't work. It's like you're trying to indirectly say that women shouldn't work and that they should take care of their child, children. I'm not saying it indirectly, I'm saying it directly. <laughs> not, it's not going around in circles. I'm telling you directly. What you do is up to you. 
I don't give hints. That's why some people say, oh, he's like a sledgehammer, but at least he says the truth, and that's the truth. Now, I think it's time for a break. Yes, okay. We'll have the sandwich break now. After 10 years of doing the talk standing, unfortunately, I've got to the stage now that I can't do it anymore, so I've got to alternate. I get sick. Okay, so the next section, which uh, is very important, and I'm not reading all these to upset people. The main thing is to cause repentance in those that have done damage and those who have still got young children to stop the cycle. Now, I've got the symptoms and behaviours associated with exposure to trauma, not spiritual. I got this from a, a trauma website. When a child gets traumatised, it can be affected physiologically, which means the body, cognitive, the thinking and reasoning and remembering, and behavioural. Now, I'm going to read the symptoms quickly, and then we'll go on to the next part, physiologically. So when a child is experiencing trauma, uh, they have a poor appetite, low weight or digestive problems, especially when they're not two. But these symptoms can also occur when they get older. Experience stomach aches and headaches, have poor sleep habits, experience nightmares or sleep difficulties, wet the bed or self after being toilet trained. So they've been toilet trained but they're still wet in the bed. That could be, unless there's, there's, you know, all these things could have other reasons. But we're talking about trauma specifically now. A racing heart or fast breathing, nausea, That's, which means there's a feeling of sickness with an inclination to vomit, or they actually do vomit. And some parents might say, oh, it's got a virus. It might have a virus, or it might be traumatised. Cognitive now. Demonstrate poor verbal skills, especially when the first few years when they're growing up, they're not learning to speak. Again, there could be other reasons for that. Exhibit memory problems. I've noticed that even as adults, when people come to me who've been abused a lot when they were young, very bad memories. It's so all the time, I forgot, I forgot. That's basically the every second word. Having difficulties focusing or learning in school, so it creates learning difficulties. Develop learning disabilities, show poor skill development, skills, doing things, like with their hands and things like that. Behavioural, display excessive temper, in other words, emotional instability, because they don't know what's going on within them. And when they grow up, same thing occurs. Demand attention through both positive, that means doing good for attention all the time, and negative behaviours where they're mucking around to get your attention. Not all of it's from that, but that is a feature of a, a traumatised child. Exhibit aggressive behaviours. Act out in social situations, mucking around, like in, when there's people around that just can't behave. Show irritability and anxiety. Are verbally abusive. Scream or cry excessively. These are little children, unfortunately, when you've got grown men or grown women that cry. 
uh, when things don't go their way, uh, there's something wrong there. Frighten easily, are unable to trust others or make friends, fear being separated from parent caregiver, are anxious and fearful and avoidant, in other words, insecurities, act withdrawn, that means like lack emotion, they're not connected with the world, lack of self-confidence, show sadness, in brackets, depression. Mayo Clinic says the following. When children are depressed, they show more irritability, they're more a bit hyper. When adults are depressed, they typically show sadness. So children react differently to depression and sadness compared to adults. So adults tend to, as you know, become depressed, they're pretty dead. Children don't do that because they don't know what's going on within them a lot of times and they become overexcited, irritable things. Exhibit regressive behaviours. Any action that is not age-appropriate and which the child has already grown out of, such as temper tantrums. Kids do that when they're young, as little toddlers. But if they continue to... when And they've got over that, let's just say. Then if they go back to it again or they don't never come out of it, that means that there's some, some type of trauma going on in them. For example, whining. You know, children, mum, mum, all the time. Now, some of them can grow out of that, but then they're traumatised some situation and then they go back to it again, which is abnormal, or the trauma started from when they were young, which means they keep on going on when they should have grown out, when they should grow out of it. Um, wanting to sleep with the light on, not wanting to be left alone. After a while, children can sleep in their rooms and things like that. But if the child's scared, something's going on, the light on, something's wrong with that child. And and some parents say, oh, it's got to learn, so they force it. That's, that's not right. Got to find out what's wrong with it. They revert back to sucking their thumbs. As I said, some don't grow out of it, and some do grow out of it, and then some traumatic experience happens, and they go back to it again. Or they want a pacifier like a dummy. Or they go back to baby talk. So um, that's important. Believe they are to blame for the traumatic experience. Some kids blame themselves and say, I deserve it, that mum hits me or dad hits me or shouts at me or whatever. Fear adults who remind them of the traumatic event. So if the father's the person who's causing the trauma, then those children usually are scared of people that look like him. Imitate the abusive traumatic event. So they role play and they say, I'm going to smack you, I'm going to do something, which is similar to what they've experienced. Children that are traumatised, as I said, as I said early on, they become weak. I'm going to say something, and you might find it a bit inappropriate, but it's important. So, I was with a family once, and I was noticing the boy was touching himself continually. And 
And I know that that child has gone through traumatic because the mother was a bit out of it and she didn't really take care of him properly. And I said to the father, I said, the child's got a lot of anxiety. It's very young to have anxiety at that age. How old was he? Maybe three or four. And I go, he's always touching himself when he's insecure. He goes, I've never noticed that. I go, well, you say to him something which will cause him anxiety and you'll see. So the father said, I'm going to take away that toy. Straight away, he, he started to hold himself. Then he says, no, I'll give it back to you. He let go. I said, say, some, say something else to him. Everything that was causing the boy anxiety, he would touch himself. And then when he would be in a happy situation, he'd be all right again. So these behaviours show that the children are suffering from anxiety, and this anxiety comes from trauma. Now, they could be born with problems, which have gone... Last time we said that there's hereditary. I'm sticking now to this, to this business, the, tra the trauma. But remember, a child can be traumatised, but yet it's no, nothing's happened to the child. But we forget, how about the womb? How about when the child was in the womb? If it experienced negative experiences then, which we don't know a lot of times... I don't know what my mother felt when she had me for nine months. I know she worked in a shop cooking hamburgers and I know she used to catch the tram and all the way from Marrickville to go to Bondi. Very far. She used to catch the train and the tram. Take about an hour and a half to do all that. That's while she's pregnant. I think that's how, that puts a lot of strain. I don't remember traumatic experiences from when I was young, except when I went to school. But... I've got anxiety problems as well, and I think a lot of those come from when, when I was in the womb. So it can be, we don't know a lot of times why children have certain symptoms, and don't try and be doctors and work everything out. It's a bit hard, so complicated. Or it could be hereditary. The child at the time of the conception has mental problems because of the um, parents background, the genetics, the grandparents, etc. So that child can be, have genetic problems of mental disease, but in the womb, it was perfect pregnancy, let's just say. And then after the child was born, perfect upbringing for two years, but the child's showing behavioural problems, is showing problems, because it's got genetic problems. So how do we know? What do we do? That's what the talk's about. That's what we've got to find out. So if you see a child acting anxious, it doesn't mean that that child's traumatised. The parents might have done nothing. Most of the time they have, but they might not. It could come from the grandparents and there's grown... Yeah, now you might say, that's unfair. There we go again. God's unfair. We're going to come to that in a minute. Now we come to... Different reasons why children get traumatised. So the first one is, I'm going to read two quotes from the epistles of St Paul. The first one says, Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become discouraged. I'll read it again but using different words. Fathers, do not aggravate, do not anger 
Do not embitter your children so they will not lose heart. Lose heart. That was in Colossians chapter 3, line 21. This one's in Ephesians chapter 6, line 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, on its own, what does that mean? Does that mean you never discipline your children? We should never speak to them harshly. We should never discipline, tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Well, that's where we're going to look at what the saints say to try and understand what these Bible quotes mean, which is specific advice to fathers. St. Paisios says, Parents don't treat their children with affection and love, and that is why their children may have psychological problems later. So there's, there's a reason. Because some of you say, I don't want to bring up my children wrongly. What should I do? Well, there's the first one. Treat your children with plenty of affection and love. And if you don't, that is why children may have psychological problems later. The next one, same patience again. A child needs a lot of love and affection and much guidance. A child needs you to sit by its side, listen to its problems, caress it, means hug, squeeze, you know, things like that, and kiss it. If a mother takes an upset and mischievous child into her arms to caress and kiss, the child will calm down. If the young child is filled with affection and love, later that child will become strong and able to face the problems of life. Now, the biggest business that psychologists get today are with people who cannot face the problems of life. They're weak. So someone says to me, well, what do we do not to have that problem? Well, I just told you. Love, affection and guidance. Which, by the way, you don't even have to read from the saints, even I'd rather read it from the saints so I can be exactly sure. These are in, in normal upbringing of children books written by secular people. That's what you should go and write in your bedroom. So when you're lying in your bed, love, affection and guidance. And the guidance, oh, I'm going I'm to be teaching my child, I'm going to teach them good things when they get older. No, but that doesn't start from there. It starts from young. It starts from when they're babies. But how do you guide a child when you're... Well, the guidance might be a little bit more when they understand a little bit, but the love and affection starts from the womb. Then the first days, the next month, the next month, the next month, especially in the first two years. The guidance, as when the child um, starts to understand a little bit, you give guidance, you talk to the child. Parents don't do that. And then they wonder why they don't say, oh, my, my children don't come and talk to me. That means you didn't do it when they were young. They don't come to talk to you, something's wrong. Either it's genetic, or something happened when they were in the womb, or you did a bad job as parents on the upbringing. If the child say there's a child that's just closed, we can't say 100% it's the mother's fault or the father because it could be genetic or it could be an act. Say the woman got traumatised. Her father died. She got upset. 
that really affected her. And then that would affect the baby. Or someone attacked her. Or it could be anything. But in general, the rule is, you've got to show your child love and affection, which starts from the womb, continues on, especially the first two years, and later on, guidance. A child falls down and hurts itself. The child needs consolation. The child needs straightaway affection. Come here and look at this. What a beautiful discipline method. A child is mucking around, pick it up. If a mother takes an upset and mischievous child into her arms to caress and kiss it, the child will come down. There's the advice. And you've got these people from Europe or Russia, I don't know, they're going to say, oh, you don't hold the child too much because they'll become too much used to the, as they say in Greek, but we say in English, too used to being held. These are village myths. Look at these um, Asian countries. They have to work, some of the women have to work in the fields. Where's the child? Who knows, where's the child? That's it, on the back, strapped on the back. And what do we know about um, Chinese, um, Asian uh, children? Very, 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 very dedicated to their parents. How about the Western kids? What do the Western kids do? Are they dedicated? No, usually they spit on their parents, hit them, reject them, put them in nursing homes. Not the Chinese. I wonder why. Maybe because of the connection. Breastfeeding, holding. That's what they. That's what ancients, the ancient civilizations did. This is new. This Western thing. Childcare, television, school as early as possible. That's all new. These things didn't exist years ago, and they still don't exist in many countries. But they do in Western countries. And who's at fault? Who knows? the feminists. Parents, especially the mother, often cause hurt to a child for some act of misbehaviour by scolding it excessively. Scolding means reprimanding, telling it off, right? So shouldn't we scold a child? The saint says specifically, which word did he use? Who remembers it? There was a word there that he used, starts with E excessively. Of course you're going to discipline the child to some degree. Excessively. Like that madman who hit his child because he, he hit the, um, the sliding door. And other parents who are like, they've got problems and every single thing bothers them, especially older parents. When they get married old, like 40 years, some of them get old. Not all the time, but a lot of them, the ones I've experienced, kids that come from older parents, uh, they're very, very... Um, uh, they get, everything bothers them because they're old. Young people usually are more flexible, but old people get like they're fuddy daddy, you know, everything bothers them. So if they have a child at 40, by the time the child becomes five, six, the father's 46, the child is active, playing, but he doesn't want that, it gives him a headache. So he tells the child, shut up, shut up, shut up all the time, and the child gets affected. That's why the saints say, get married early. 
as early as possible. However, there's another problem there. I would say that as early as possible, people used to get in the ancient times, get married at 15, 16. We can't do that now. Why? Because people are immature. Like back in the old days, a 15, 16 year old girl was mature. Now for women to be mature like that, they've got to get to at least 45. <laughs> and men the same. Some men, by the time they're mature, are already in the wheelchair. <laughs> so this is a problem. So let's move on. The child is then wounded when you excessively reprimand it. Even if you don't scold the child outwardly with words, but become irritated with anger inwardly or look fiercely at the child, the child understands and the child gets affected, he's, he's trying to say. The child picks up when the parent has got something wrong, when it's angry or within, it's, it's not connected to the child. Children don't like that. They feel insecure, they become anxious. The parent needs to be connected to the child and not all the time screaming and screaming and shouting or having angry faces. And if the parent didn't connect with the child when it was young, or if the parent is old for a lot, lot of times, then their irritation can start bordering on uh, hate, dislike. Just really just don't want the child at all. That's why you see Parents say, can't wait for the schools to open up so they can go back to school, so they can go and get brainwashed and learn about same-sex marriage. I can't wait. Can't wait for that to happen. Parents must be very careful not to reprimand their... Ch this is St. Paisios. Parents must be very careful not to reprimand their children in the evening. Because at, this, at that time, when the children have nothing to distract them from their troubles, the darkness of the night will make their troubles darker still. They start thinking of ways to react. They search for different solutions. Then the devil gets involved and the children can even reach a state of hopelessness. If children are reprimanded during the day, they can go out, their troubled darkness disperses and they eventually forget their trouble. Important. What does he mean that they start thinking of ways to react? One way of reacting is revenge. I'll go to the extreme which has happened, children can harm themselves so they can get back at the parents. They can either commit suicide or they can do something else, uh, hurt themselves. Because some children uh, cannot cope with being reprimanded and then, as he said, well, if you do it during the day, they can get distracted and forget about it. But sometimes, if it's done in the night, they can start thinking and thinking and thinking and become very disturbed, such that they can do bad to themselves, 
you know, some kids have burnt the houses down. No one knows about that because no one knows oh, it was an accident. And he says the devil gets involved. So the devil finds when the child's disturbed, really upset, upset with the parents, the only ones that should have a meaning in the child's life, all of a sudden in his mind or her mind, that parent doesn't care for him anymore or her for her. And therefore, what's the point in anything? So we've got to be careful with that, which is the advice of the saint. I always tell parents, don't upset the children before going to bed. Because it upsets, some of them can't fall asleep. They think, they think, they think, they think. And that's where all the mental issues happen. And that's when they can do things really bad. And that's why St. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke. I mean, in general, that's for the night. But in general, do not provoke your children so they will not become discouraged which is what we just said now, they become discouraged. They get knocked out. They get very upset. Fathers, another one, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what's the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Meaning to bring them up with love and affection and try to avoid continual discipline, which a lot of times is the fault of the parent that the child's mucking around, which we'll see in a minute. Now, I'm going to give you a, an example of what I was talking about. didn't happen in the night, but it's still a good example. Numara Onufrios, who suffered on Chios, an island in Greece, in 1818, 4th of January. As you know, a lot of Greece was run by the Turks. St. Onufrios was born in a village in Bulgaria. He was given the name of Matthew in holy baptism and he received a good Christian education. One day when he was about eight years old, he was scolded and spanked by his parents for some minor misbehaviour in the presence of some Turkish neighbours. So the parents scolded him, smacked him in front of the Turkish people, neighbours. Matthew both saddened and angered, wanted to get back at his parents, he began shouting in front of, the in front of everyone in the neighbourhood that he wanted to become a Muslim because he knew that's the worst thing for an orthodox person, to become a Muslim. He knew that his parents would be devastated with that. So he picked the one that he knew. And the Muslims attempted to take the boy by force from his parents in order to circumcise him and make him a Muslim. Somehow his parents worked it out that Matthew remained a Christian. He later became a monk, and when he was a monk, he started thinking about, I denied Christ, and he went to heal, and he confessed Christ, and he um, died. Not that he had to do that, but that's what he felt he wanted to do. That's an example. There's an example. The, the child might get back at you by blaspheming. The child might get back at you by stealing something. The child might get back. There's all different ways. It doesn't mean you're scared, but you've got to be careful. Some children are oversensitive. You can't use discipline. Some children, you can use discipline, and they're good. Not harsh, but you can use some discipline. Some children are sensitive. 
some are disturbed, and you cannot use or a discipline which might work for another child. You've got to look for things that are going to work. Most, some of these really sensitive kids, you need to speak to them. When I was teaching, I had different kids in the class. So I would be using different methods. A kid did something, okay, come at lunchtime, you stay in. And then as they're walking out, bye sir, nice, jump in, no worries. Another one comes, said you come, lunchtime, and they're sitting there with a black face, disturbed, full of hate. Same thing, just one detention. So you've got to look at these things. So I had to treat that child a bit different, to work out different methods. See, you, some of you got two to three, four kids. I had 150. I had to work it out. 150 kids, 150 personalities. Some children, you can talk to them. Some can be shamed a bit. You say, look, I'm really upset with you, what you're doing. You know, mum's upset, dad's upset, whatever you want to say. You can use that. Some you can put them in the room. Some you can't put them in the room. Because they'll break everything or they'll just become depressed. There's all different things. How do you know what to do? That's why you pray. You pray. Parents should be praying continually. What do I do? God help me, enlighten me. What should I do? How should I, how should I deal with this problem? How do I talk to my child? What should I do? Enlighten me, help me. And God is obliged. He will help. The problem is... Parents won't do that. Do you know why? Because they never learnt. That's what I'm saying. They never learnt spiritual life. They came into the marriage not having the right weapons, the right instruments to be able to deal with in, in their marriage with problems with their husbands, with their wives. That's, that's all big. That's very demanding. And dealing with the upbringing of the children. That's why I look at the people and say, oh, well, we're going to get married. I go, okay. Do you pray? No. Do you know how to pray? No. I wouldn't get married. I wouldn't get married unless you know how to pray. Because as we learned in the marriage talks, marriage is like an arena. An arena, like where you're going into an arena, you have to fight against the lions and the tigers and all that, whatever they used to do. That's how marriage is. It's, you've got to be strong. You've got to be a warrior. Not a warrior where you worry, a warrior has been brave. If you don't know how to pray, then you end up to be a warrior that worries. But if you're going to be a spiritual warrior, that's why Christians are called warriors. So people don't know. I've got people that have got three children, four children, five children, and you say they've got a problem. Have you prayed? No. Try and pray. I can't pray. I tried, I can't, I can't pray. A woman said that um, she used to love her husband, in inverted commas, that's what she thought. She used to love her husband, and now she hates him. And I said, well, what do you think that happened? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, you never loved him in the first place. It was a human love. Now you've got to show your spiritual love. And how do you show your spiritual love? By praying. If your husband's off, then you've got to pray for him. If your wife's gone off, you've got to pray for her. But people don't know how to pray. These are people that are either got a lot of mental issues, they don't know how to pray, they weren't taught how to pray. That's why I say start leading a more intense spiritual life before you decide to get married. And then if you, in that five-year period or something, you learn to struggle, you know how to pray, 
You know how to go to the priest. You know how to open up your problems. You know how to confess. You know how to deal with your passions. You know how to deal with the demons to some extent. You know how to deal with bad thoughts. Then go and get married. But if you don't know how to do that, you're not going to be able to hold a marriage and you won't be able to take care of the kids. Especially today. Parents need to be people of prayer. If they're not people of prayer, they're finished. Um, St. Porphyrius, when the children are traumatised and hurt on account of some serious situation, don't let it affect you when they negatively react and speak rudely. So the saint's saying a child might be rude to you, a child might be reacting negatively to you, because of some reason, because it's traumatised and hurt, don't take it to heart. Don't react straight away. How dare you and start going crazy. In reality, they don't want to but can't help themselves at difficult times. They are remorseful, in other words, they're sorry, afterwards. But if you become irritated and enraged, you become one with the evil spirit and it makes a mockery of you all. Now, usually, St. Paisio or St. Porfirio say, it's your fault. But he didn't say it this time. He says, when the children are traumatised and hurt on account of some serious situation, why didn't he say it was their fault? Because there are a lot of reasons why children can be traumatised. Something at school, something they saw on TV, some event that happened in the world, like when... The planes hit that World Trade Center. A lot of kids got traumatized. There's a lot of reasons why children get traumatized, not always the fault of the parent. And he says, why are you reacting to the child? Or because it's being rude. Or something's wrong with the child. Obviously, it's trying to say something. And then you're belting it or you're telling it off. You're making things worse. Then the devil gets in, he says, And he says, then you become one with the evil spirits and it makes a mockery of you all. It destroys the family. It destroys the relation with your children. There's another thing. You say, oh, I don't understand. You talked about the demons before and you talked about the demons again. That's it. That's why when you're single, you've got to learn to fight with your passions. You've got to learn to deal with the demons which are always there in people's lives. And if you don't have that any experience of them, some experience, or if you can't handle it, then at least run to a priest or ring up a monastery or get some help. People don't even know how to do that. And yet they're married. That's what you learn when you're single. That's why I say to people, don't get married. Just stay single for a while and let's see how you go. So there's one man, and he says, I want to get married. And another one, I want to get married. And I said, mm, I would leave it. Just wait a while. Just do spiritual life in the world, because you're all over the place. He goes, no, but once I get married, I'll be good. I'll have my wife. I'll have my children. I'll have my house. I'll have my job. I'll have my car. Or pictured in his, in his mind, in his fantasy. I have all these things. And I said, you're not ready. You're not ready. I said, you need a few years. You've got to learn to deal with your emotions. You've got to work out your mental issues. You've got to work out your anger issues. You've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn all these things. 
What did he do? He got married. And I've said this before, when people would go to their place, they would notice laminated icons in all strange places. There was one on the door, one over there, one over here. What's going on? Why are these icons in strange places? So someone decided to have a look behind the icon. There was glue tack. Opened it up. What was there? A hole. What was in the other icon? A hole. And what were the holes? The fist. Crazy. I told the wife, don't, don't get married. Don't get married. He needs to work himself out. What did she do? Black. She got married. And then she said, I think I married a mad person. Don't think it. Know it. And you didn't listen and that's it. Oh, sorry. And the children, each one became more disturbed than the other. I'm making fun of these people. I'm just saying these examples. I'm not here so that you can say, oh, 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 look at these people. No, these examples are meant to help you because I know from my experience, and that's why St. Paisos does it all the time, examples, examples, examples. That's why I even stop confessing because when you confess people, they think, oh, he's talking about me. Oh, that's me. So I just don't confess that. People, you know, if you don't, that way they're not going to have this thing, oh, he's talking about me. talking about you. There's a lot of people that have all these problems. I give you the examples because they're powerful. And when I speak to people, they say to me, I like that example you said about that person, blah, 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 blah. And it just comes to their mind. So I can talk all night, but these examples stay in your mind. And that's why I use them. They're not meant to make fun of people or to put them down. I'm trying to use their examples, not for you to make the same mistakes. So a quick summary, to avoid psychological problems, children need more love, affection and attention and guidance rather than excessive discipline and harsh reprimands. As a new teacher, when I first started teaching, I thought that was the way. Just punish everyone, continue, just punish, punish. And then after a while, with experience, you start learning that you don't have to use that. You can use other methods. So one boy was rude to me, a year 10 fellow, and he was rude to me. And then uh, he was top of the class. He was getting 90% in maths for everything. And he was very rude to me. So I did a bit of searching. So I went and looked at his file and found that in the last year, the previous class, that he had someone else, he was getting 30%. Now he's getting 90. I wonder why he's getting 90. And um, so I got him privately. And I said to him, oh, you, you used to get 30%, now you get 90 Why do you think that's happening? Because, oh, because you're, you're, you're a good teacher. And I said, yeah, so why are you rude to me? Is that the way you show appreciation? And that was it. Never spoke again. So that worked with that kid. Another kid, you might have to put him on detention. Another kid, you might have to call in the parents. Another child, you might have to just look at them and they just it. that's the end of it. Everyone's got different... You, got to, you can't have a rule where you treat all your children the same way. Every child's different. Everyone needs different approaches. Children that are filled with love, affection 
and attention and guidance will grow up to become strong and able to face the problems of life. Do not reprimand children in the evening so they won't fall into hopelessness and possibly react in a dark way. And the last one, there are many reasons why children are traumatised and not all of them are the fault of the parents. Parents must not always react to their children's every negative reaction. In other words, when the children are rude, disrespectful, disobedience, they've got to look for the reason why the children are acting like that. I would say to parents, look, is it really straight out disobedience just being defiant? Or is it something behind it? Like some crazy people, like they're going through a divorce and the children are one child or whatever, is react, is rude, upset, disobedient, smashing things, and they're disciplined. They don't even think to themselves and say, oh, maybe it's the divorce. Maybe it's the divorce, or maybe it's because it just saw someone being killed on the television and the child's only five years old. Or maybe just watched Harry Potter, which is no restrictions or, uh, for parental guidance for 15. But what happens if parents give the video to the child to watch when it's five? Is there any law about that? No. If you smack the child a little bit, you can go to jail. But if you show them something traumatic which really affects the child, a smack doesn't do it. I mean, hardly I've, I've had hardly no kids come up to me and say that they were really affected unless they were smashed, because they were smacked. That doesn't do it. But what does is things when they see pornography accidentally or they've been traumatised from school or been put down or watched something on TV, which they can't react to. That's what the psychologist is saying. They don't understand that the person died in the next movie they see my life. They can't understand all these things. So you, you're torturing the child. That's traumatising. That's not against the law, is it? How many kids are watching these things, even things that are 18 plus? Is there a law? Parents who allow their children to watch movies or shows that are above its age will go to jail. No. But if you give a little smack on the bum, then you go to jail. This is the feminists. Feminists are behind this. The next section, corporal punishment. Because before we are talking about verbal. Corporal means when you smack the child. Well, let's see how the saints thought about that. Parents don't, this is St. Paisos, parents don't treat their children with affection and love, and this is why their children may have psychological problems later. Some parents treat their children harshly and even beat them for the smallest wrongdoing. He goes into the two groups. Some parents uh, treat their children harshly, not hitting, just harshly, with no affection and love, and they have psychological problems later. And then there's the other group who hits their kids for the smallest things and, and how do we hit? What, you know, what should we do? Should you hit at all? Well, let's see what it says. Elder, someone's speaking to Father Paisios. Elder, should we spank the children when they are misbehaving? St. Paisios answers, should you spank them? A lot or a little? He was laughing. It was like a joke. I, still, I, I actually don't get the joke, but I think he's trying to say... How much do you want to spank him? A lot or a little? I think he was making fun of the concept of the smacking. Um, look, fear is a restraint and spares the child from many things which he doesn't understand. Let's say the child 
likes to go up on a high chair. He doesn't sense the danger. If he gets a little spanking from his mother, when he again wants to climb up, he will look right and left to see, do they see me? And if no one sees him, he will remember the spanking he received and will restrain himself. He will say, I don't want to get another spanking. And so the fear becomes a restraint and spares infants from many things. So if it's going near a stove, it's going near uh, um, dangerous things, you might give it a little spank. Now, remember that some children are so young they don't understand. Got to be careful there. Some do, but if you're noticing that you're smacking the child and the child goes again and again and again, that means the spank is not really helping. But some children do. So you've got to experiment. You've got to be like psychologists. Observe, look. I haven't got time to look. Some will say, I haven't got time. I've got to go to my Facebook. I've got all my fans waiting for me. I've got 50,000 likes, 50,000 thumb up, and three thumbs down. See how popular I am? I'm not going to sit in and worry why my, why my child's mucking around. Boring. That's boring. I've got to put a picture of myself, smiling so everyone can see in the world. I'm going to sh- smile so they can see that I just cleaned my teeth. And right underneath, hi everyone, just cleaned my teeth. Feels white and sparkling. This is all. This is all like attention. What? <laughs> I think. I think the church calls that vainglory. <laughs> like not to have vainglory. That's what Facebook is. It's just the incarnation of vainglory. It's like vainglory taken on flesh. This is how bad it is. You're drop-dead gorgeous today. (laughs) You're stunning. You're a beautiful girl. It's usually the girls that get the, you know, they actually, they need that thing. Oh, where'd you get that hair done? Fantastic. And the answer, I just woke up. I haven't done anything to it. (laughs) Anyway, that's that's a, a whole... That's a, I should do a whole talk on that so we can laugh all night, but I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if it's appropriate. Maybe it is. We'll do a little bit one night. Some people have showed me what they write. But it's just, and showing their children and they teach their children vainglory. Continual pictures of the children. They don't know that there's pedophiles in the world. They don't understand that. Just put up the children, let, let, let the whole world see them. When, however, children begin to understand, we must sit down with them and patiently explain things they can understand. This is beautiful. What valuable advice. He's saying when they're young, they don't understand very well, you can't speak to them, you can smack them a tiny bit, but not to hurt them. Just a little bit. I mean, usually if you just smack a kid a little bit, that usually shocks them a bit. Um, But he said, but when they grow up a little bit and they start understanding, 
They don't have to use that. Sit down with the child and explain things. Don't do that because of that, etc. There's the solution of how to work things out. But when you have to continue smacking the child, even when it grows older, then something's wrong. You failed as a parent. Also, a lot of times parents create dangerous situations. So they've got a, a tablecloth and the child can grab the tablecloth and the vase can fall. Go, oh, don't go there, don't go there, whack, whack. Well, if you use your brain, you, take the, you can't have a tablecloth hanging when you've got babies in the room or toddlers. That's it. Tablecloth's gone. You introduce it back in years to come when you don't have toddlers walking around. But my table has scratches and I don't want people to see it. So you, you prefer the vase to fall on the child's head just so people can't see the scratches. These are crazy things. We create, a lot of times people create problems. Always make the environment safe. That way you don't have to continually reprimand the child and, or spank it, which at the end, when it grows up, it just won't take any notice of you. Some mothers say to me, or fathers, they say to me, um, oh, he never listens. He never listens. I talk and I tell him things, he doesn't listen. I go, and can I ask you a question? When you're reprimanding him, is he just walking around the house doing playing and things like that? How do you know? So well, I don't have cameras. The reason I know, the reason why I know, is because he ignores you. That means that you taught him to ignore you. Even Nanny, what's her name? Um, what's that nanny's name from England? Super nanny. A super, even Super Nanny says you put the child, you sit at the same level, eye level, and tell the child, look at me, listen to mummy or listen to daddy, and you f make him focus, make her focus to explain what the child's doing is wrong. But parents don't do that. They go, don't run, don't do that, that or just continue, continue. The child just, yeah, oh, it's, it's just her again. They will not take any notice. That's how they'll grow up. That's how they'll grow up. She's more comfortable sitting down. It was just much better. Got sick before. Um, then we go on. Yerunda, which means elder. A mother asked us what to do with her daughter who swears at the Theotokos, at the mother of God. Saint Paisius. The mother has to find the source of the evil, which is what I said earlier. Look for the reason. Sometimes don't just react to the behaviour, but look for the source. Like when people used to go to St. Paisius in Mount Athos or in Thessalonica, wherever he was, and they'd say, oh, we've got magic, someone's done magic on us, etc., and then we should get exorcisms. And he said, no, 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 you've got to find what's the reason why this is on you. Is it something you did? Is it an unconfessed sin? And that's why if someone did it to you that it's grabbed onto you, you've got to look for reasons. So... Sometimes in such cases, it's actually the parents who are at fault. When they, the parents, do not behave appropriately, they do not help the children who react by speaking to their parents with disrespect. Then they become open to demonic influence and react badly. In other circumstances, again, the parents imagine that they can raise good children properly 
by using force. The parents' egoism enters into the picture and they speak to them with frustration, whereas they should always treat their children with kindness. Now, he's saying here that when a child does something wrong and the parents react, with, to, react to that child, then the children are going to react back. Instead of trying to look, why is the child swearing at the mother of God? Or why is the child hitting other children? Or why is the child spitting out the food like when they're older? Why is, what, what's going on? I suppose even younger, you've got to work out well, what's, what's wrong. And then he says that the parents, then they become open to demonic influence and react badly. When parents start getting angry, anger is a passion, then the demons come along and can make them even more angry. It becomes like a vicious circle. Like the child does something wrong, instead of looking to why the child's mucking around, what's, what's, what's wrong with them, then the parents react, why are you being rude? Then the child reacts back. And then when the child reacts back, then they become more angry. And the demon gets in and it becomes intense, 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 intense. This is what happens with married couples. One, two, three, four, back and forth, back and forth, demons get in, destroys the marriage. Because the husband, for example, doesn't think, why is my wife acting rude to me today? For example, this is what happens. Why is she acting rude? Because he's out of it, doesn't think, because of the upbringing a lot of times, doesn't think to think, maybe she's tired. Maybe I haven't been shown enough affection. Maybe because I'm lazy. Maybe because I'm irresponsible. Maybe I've not helped with the children. Look at the reasons and instead you say, oh, you were rude to me. And that makes the wife more angry. I can't believe how much of a pig he is. Answers back more and it just becomes a whole blow up. The demons get in and the whole marriage is finished. This is, this is how marriages end. And the woman should do the same. Oh, my husband's coming home. Oh, he's all cranky. Why is he cranky? Have some idea. Something happened? Did something happen at work? How do you feel? He might be sick. He might have uh, lost his job or he might have been demoted or whatever. There's a lot of reasons. We always got to look for reasons why people are the way they are. Instead of reacting. And the demons then do a dance, as the, as the fathers say. They love it. They love that. So the same with your spouse. Don't overreact. See what's going on first. With your children, don't overreact. See what's going on so the demons don't dance in your family. And then he says that in other circumstances, again, parents imagine that they can raise good children properly by using force. And a lot of parents do suffer from that. Force. I'm going to force my children to be good. I'm going to force them to behave. The parents' egoism enters into the picture and they speak to them with frustration, whereas they should always treat their children with kindness. So what I did is, I did a list of four things where he says egoism. He goes, the parents react with egoism to discipline their children. Now, egoism can be right. Now, in this case... What Father Paisius meant, Elder Paisius, what he meant was that they have an ego that I'm going to 
make my child behave good and I'm the one that's going to do it. That's one form of ego. Let's have a look. A, the ego of having perfectly disciplined children and that you are the reason of this. So some pe people are harsh with their children and it's because of the pride that everyone's going to look at my children and say, look at what fantastic children I've got. It's because of me. Number, another one, B, embarrassed with the child's behaviour, don't want to look as bad parents. So the child's behaving badly and parents say, I don't want people to think that I'm a bad parent. So they try and force the child to be good so as not to get embarrassed. One's out of pride so they can, people can say you're good and some people just have a low self-confidence. They go, I don't want anyone to think I'm a bad parent. C, a stubbornness to break the child's will. So you've got parents who I've met who say, I'm going to break them, I'm going to make them do what I've done. Like, like you might say about his son. He knows that it's wrong and he keeps on doing it. Or it might be, she's going to learn not to make a noise. I'm going to teach her not to make any noises, crazy things. So I was at a house. I was doing a holy water years ago. And as I was doing the holy water, I heard like mm, mm, these type of noises. I go, what is that noise? It was horrible noise, like someone was being taught. In my mind, I thought, it sounds like a child being tortured. I had no idea what it was. I just heard it, mm, mm, that type of noise. So as the chanters were chanting there, I left my position. I went around and the noises come from behind in the hallway, away from the room. And what did I notice? It was, it was dark too. It was this father who had his toddler, a toddler. And he was holding it like this tight. The eyes were, as we say in Greek, which means opened up like he was an owl. And he was squeezing the child. Go, what are you doing? Because he's going to learn not to make noises. Like, she's going to learn not to make any noise. I said, look, you're going to disturb that child. It's going to grow up disturbed. And he didn't stop the behaviour. As the child was growing up, he kept on doing it. You're going to learn not to do it. He wanted to break the child's will. And that is, in my opinion, demonic. And the last one is irritation and frustration with the child's behaviour. Like just getting irritated. Don't do that. You're irritating me. And force the child and say, you're going to not do that because... You're making me upset. You can say you're making me upset in a nice way, but you don't force the child and say, you're going to stop it because you're making me upset or irritated or whatever. So there's a lot of reasons why, why parents discipline their children excessively. And I just went through four uh, reasons. Ego of having perfect children, embarrassed that your children are misbehaving and you don't look like a good parent, stubbornness to break the child's will like the guy with the big eyes, and the irritation and frustration with the child's behaviour. All those reasons are wrong. You don't discipline the child. You don't try to make the child to, to be proper for those reasons. You do it so the child can become a emotionally 
stable person that will function in life when the child grows up and to be a proper Christian and do God's law, etc. That's why you do it. You have in your mind, I want my child to be good so that he can be a Christian so he doesn't have to grow up with these horrible passions like I've got or some things like that. These are not reasons. These, are, these reasons are horrible. And God will not give grace to the parents who do that. You've got to stop that. Some do it out of ignorance. They've not got, got no idea. But I'll tell you the truth. I've had Christian parents who I've explained. What I'm explaining to you tonight, I've explained to them, and they kept on doing it. St. Paisius continues, Just today, I really got angry with a woman. Some might say, how can a saint get angry? Christ got angry when he went into the temple, when they were selling, when they were exchanging money, like a business, like some of our churches today, like a business. And they were selling their birds for sacrifice and things like that. And he got a whip and he went over and he got angry and he turned the tables upside down and said, this is God's house, it's meant to be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves, like um, business. And he's God. And many say, oh, it's because he's God, he's allowed. No, 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 no. It's what's called passionate anger and another thing called righteous anger. God has given every human being that's born anger. It's actually a gift to have anger. The way that you use your anger will determine whether it's a sin or out of righteous reasons. The fathers of the church say that our anger is given to us so we can be angry with the devil. When he fights us, we get angry and say, you're not going to win, you know, whatever. And then you can be angry with the world, with the ways of the world trying to influence you to become sinful. Or you can be angry at someone who's doing wrong, doing bad things, uh, but not personal. See, this is different. Christ did not go into the temple and upturn the tables because it was a personal insult, like us. Most of the time, we use our this anger that God's given us, we use it for egotistical reasons, because someone put us down, because someone made fun of us. No, that's why here the saint is not angry because someone called him a name or because someone slapped him in the face. In that case, if he gets angry, it's a sin. He's got angry for the following reasons. She has a child that she beats without mercy. The poor thing is always shaking from fear and doesn't speak. His nerves are shattered. People tell her he has demons, so she leaves the child without food, she said. I don't feed him in order to get rid of the demons. Are you in your right mind, says the saint? Give the child something to eat and try to get rid of the demons inside you. I love that talk. I use it sometimes with people. Sometimes I have to say it. You've got to say it. You're like you know, when it says, it's your fault, it's your fault. A lot of times, that's what I say when people ring up, it's your fault. It's your fault. 
or they've got some demonic influence on you. What you're doing to your children or the way you're conducting yourself in your marriage, there's something demonic, something's wrong. And I get angry. But that doesn't mean I'm getting angry because that person said something about me. I'm getting angry because of what they're doing to their wives or what they're doing to their husbands, what they're doing to their children. And that's what priests are supposed to do. They're not meant to be like a teddy bear that looks cuddly and nice and saying all beautiful words when you push the button, bless you, <laughs> bless you. But Father, my child is mucking around. What should I do? Bless you. <laughs> there's another one too. There's, there's different cards, like little, little chips. The other one is um, pray, pray. I'm having a lot of trouble with my wife. I pray. No, it's supposed to give a bit of advice. And if need be, you've got to get angry and say, well, your wife's like that because of you. You're doing that. And that's what I've noticed. All the paesios, all the porfirios, they did do that. But they're saints. Yes, they're saints. But we're priests. And that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to reprimand, teach, console, explain, pray for, etc. That's what the priest is meant to do. Not just to perform a liturgy and do um, baptism or a marriage. A priest is meant to reprimand. And there's actual canons of the apostles that said, if a priest does not censure, in other words, tell the people what they're doing is wrong, that he should be defrocked. Yes, defrocked. That's one of the functions of the priest. So let's go on now with this person. It says here, give the child something to eat and try to get rid of the demons inside you. You're the cause of the child's problems. The child does not have any demons. He's just scared of you because you beat him. Do you take the child to church for Holy Communion on a regular basis? No, she told me. And at the end, he just says in frustration, how can you communicate with a person like her? How can you speak to her? See, we think that the saints, that when they speak to people, everyone changed. Everyone changed, everyone was helped. No, no, if you read deeply into the teachings of Elder Paisios, you'll actually see he, he actually said at one time, I felt like my head was going to burst I explained to this person for 14 hours. 14 hours he sat with a person once, and whatever it was, and they just don't learn, so he became frustrated. Because I feel, a lot of times as a priest, that I become frustrated, I get angry, and I used to get a bit guilty, I go, that's no good. Because I had the notion that we have to be like teddy bears. So I thought to myself, I'm not acting like a teddy bear, I'm acting more like a grizzly bear. So I thought to myself, what's wrong? And then when I read, I go, no, no, it's actually the anger that I'm getting. It's not because they've said something to me. They called me fat or they said something or whatever. That, if I get angry, that's my pride. I've got to fix that up. But I'm getting angry because of what they're doing to their children or what they're doing to their husband or what they're doing to their wife, destroying the family. That I get angry. 
And you read and you see, and even the Optin elders, they had a lot of failures. They had successes and they had failures. All the elders, you read about it, failures and successes. Not everyone changes. And how do I know that? Because Christ himself, as God, did he change everyone? No. It actually says that when he was teaching, it says, whoever doesn't eat my body and drink my blood will not have life. And then it says, many walked away. They said, oh, it's too much. How can you eat flesh and drink blood? But he didn't say, come back, come back. He didn't say that. He let them walk away. Why? Because their heart was not tuned in to the spiritual part of the teachings that he was doing. They were looking at things fleshly, so he let them walk away. So Christ didn't have success with everyone as God. So you've got to think of that. Elder, do people say that a child has a demon because that child sometimes swears? And St. Paisa says, of course the child swears when the mother is so forceful, underlined forceful. She practically drowns the child. Even the child isn't aware afterwards of what he's done. What does that mean? So a child does something wrong. You shout and say, what did you do? Go on, 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 on. So go to your room. Okay, so what did you do wrong? I don't know. So then you think, is he actually just been like uh, silly? No, they're so terrorised, I don't remember. Or it's become a joke because it's just yap, yap, yap all the time. So they don't take any notice of it. But a lot of times the child is, that's what he says, see, she's so forceful. She drowns the child and the child isn't aware afterwards what he's done or what she's done. Is it time for the next break? What time is it? I think we need a... a oh, any questions? A lot of times it's that. A lot of times it could be the school. So it could be the school. You know, and you do have to discipline. You've got to try and correct the child. But what he's saying, the saints are saying, is look for the reason. Look for the reason. I haven't got time today. I'm going to do it hopefully the next talk. I had a whole list of the side effects of sleep deprivation. Most children today are not sleeping enough. I mean, adults don't sleep either. And the symptoms of sleep deprivation are similar to the symptoms of a child that's traumatised. Irritability, emotional outbursts, etc. Well, we know from ourselves if you don't sleep. Some people, when they, can't, when they haven't slept enough, some become angry, some become emotional. Women tend to become more emotional. If they've got their menstruals at the same time, it's a whole explosion. They need to rest but today, women go to work sleep-deprived during their menstrual cycle, tired, etc., and then they wonder why they're depressed. Then they wonder why they have divorces. Because it's just... This is like... Um, this is really very traumatising. So when the church says to the woman, take care of your child, sit, stay at home, take care of your child... It's out of love. The feminists have no love. They say, oh, you can have a child, you can go to work, you can become a CEO. You don't even need a child. Sorry? They say you don't even 
oh yeah, well that's, that's another thing they say. Most of the time they said to abort it. But if you have a child, if you have to have one, they say daycares or give it to someone else. You go and get your, um, the, you know, you become a high, high up girl there. This is traumatising. This is abuse, really. A person who does that to themselves is abusing themselves. Now, a child who hasn't got enough sleep cannot take it worse than an adult, because an adult kind of knows what's going on. A child has no idea what's going on. And it becomes traumatised, scared, anxiety. And so your child could be because you give it a computer. Well, that's silly, isn't it? So the child's at night on the computer, stimulates the eyes, it's not going to be able to fall asleep. There was one child that was like berserk, berserk, like crazy. And then it turned out that it was sleep deprived. It was saying evil things, really ridiculous things like, I wish that person to fall off the cliff. I want that plane to fall on the ground, like mad things. And it turned out later on the child was sleep deprived because the mother who was abused when she was young, was psychologically disturbed and she couldn't really discipline the children, couldn't put the child to sleep on time and things like that. And the whole thing was bad. And as soon as the child started eating better and sleeping, you know, some parents don't feed their children properly too. They don't feel, feed them. It could be a sugar low, it could be anemia, it could be medications. I've got a whole list of medications which cause all these problems to children. There's so many reasons why children can be mucking around. So you're bashing it or you're telling it off and not knowing that it's probably your fault. That's what the saints are trying to say. Sorry, there's a question that lady there. Yes? That's like an OCD and anxiety. Now, that could be because the child was inherited that. They didn't observe it, but they inherited it. Or it could be that the child was traumatising the womb and that's one of the symptoms of it. Or it could be the child wasn't taken care of when it was young. So they do these little rituals and things to make them feel like to relieve their anxieties and all that. And... In that, in that case, I think even Elder Porfirios gives a beautiful example of a child that wouldn't eat yoghurt. He says, you empty the fridge out and you only have yoghurt in the fridge. And you say to the child, that's all there is. And after one, two days, it will eat the yoghurt and it will become the favourite food. So with that, you say, that's, yeah, that's, that's what he said. I've got the example here for you. I call it the yoghurt example. <laughs> and with the child of the blue plate, you're just going to say that the food will be given on this plate, the proper plate, um, that's it. That's how the food comes. If you, don't, if you don't, then you don't make a fuss and say, force it. You just say, it's okay. Do you want it? You don't want it. You don't want it? Put the food away. By the next morning, by lunchtime, I think we'll be eating from a white plate. <laughs> and but, but some others say, oh, it's cruel, it's cruel. It's not. It's just that's these children want to play the game and some, as I said sometimes there's a bit of a sickness but sometimes you can break it but if you do one two and if you notice the child isn't eaten after a few days and it's ready to die then it needs medical help something's more wrong than just an ordinary kind of whim like a whim you know where the child just demands things so there's all different things but when you do give in 
to a child that does that, like a girl that wants to change her dress often, or if there's a little, there was a child that would say, oh, mummy, mummy, there's a spot on that, change my dress. Change my dress, and it becomes like a OCD. Those children will, can grow up to have that disease, and they'll have a lot of problems in life. So you've got to try your best to break it, and use prayer, get the child read by a priest, make the child commune more often, improve, the parents need to improve their lives, and ask God to heal if the child, it's not just a whim, but it's something deep, like a psychological sickness, then you need a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, help, and um, asking God to heal the child. If not, it's going to grow up to have a lot of problems. OCD means obsessive compulsive disorder where someone's got to do wash their hands continually or put things in certain order or you know you see grown people but also children who want to put things in certain order you know they don't want certain things on their in their food like that's too lumpy take it out um, I don't like that color these things are like uh, I think from what I read it's hereditary but I also believe it can be from trauma from the womb or growing up. Have a break, five minutes, and then we'll continue on. So I won't go back to the monastery and think and it, it, it causes me turmoil. I still think I haven't answered your question properly, fully. So the other, the other um, aspect of it is Yes, you must consider whether you should get married or not, and then stay as a single person. Now, you will say, but I'm missing out on the joys of life of being married and having children. That's true. And if I've got mental issues, emotional problems, that means that I'm not fully participating or enjoying or functioning in life, and that's true. As a result of that, like children who were born disabled, say for example children who were born who can't walk or that are mentally disabled fully, those children are saved. They're baptised, they're saved. God will give them rewards because they never had the enjoyments of life. And as a, which is what the saints used to do, as you know, they used to go to the desert and they used to sleep on the ground, they used to eat, uh, some of them eat sand and just weeds and they used to suffer. They wanted not to enjoy this life so as to get the enjoyments in the next life. Now, does that mean that we should deprive ourselves of all the enjoyments of life? No, that people are allowed to get married, have sexual relations, which is enjoyable for them, and uh, enjoy their children and enjoy life. Those who can't, because of the way they were brought up or some other problem, will be given far greater rewards than those who were given better opportunities when they were young. So a person who was emotionally abused, physically abused or whatever, turns out, grows up, can't get married because they're dysfunctional. They can't, they're really affected 
a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, and the church can give relief. Some people can be somewhat healed and then get go on with life. Some, God does not heal them fully or at all for reasons that he knows. Those people in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than those who had better opportunities. So um, keep that in mind, and I find that that is uh, hopeful. It's equivalent to children who were born... Uh, not been able to walk, not been able to speak, mentally uh, disabled completely where they just don't know what's going on and things like that. Autistic children, for example, who are disconnected from their surrounding and they stay like that, a lot of them, to the day that they die. Those children who were born with Down syndrome, all of those children will be rewarded richly in the next life. So... When we say that God is not unjust, remember that. God is not unjust. Now, some people say, oh, um, my daughter died when she was five years old. God is unjust. God is unfair. I never saw her grow up. I never saw her get married. I never saw her have children. I never saw her whatever, whatever, all those things. That person, of course it's, it's difficult. As a human, you're going to be upset and hurt to some degree. But we also have to, we're also spiritual beings. We don't look at everything with human, in a human way. And as a spiritual person, what would you rather have? Your daughter die at five years old and saved? Or to die at 70 years old with five, six, seven grandchildren and go to hell? You see, this is the, these are the things we have to look at things spiritually. Yes, as humans, it's painful. The mother of God was wounded and cried when she saw her son and God on the cross, suffering. That was the human aspect. Christ himself, as a human, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, was sweating tears because he was fearing the death of the cross. But then the spiritual came over and he says, not my will, but your will be done. So this is how we have to think and not say blasphemies to say that God, who is full love, love that we cannot even comprehend, to say that God is unloving and unjust. Why did millions of people die in the Second World War? Why did all those Ukrainians that were starved by that madman Stalin there why? Because God is love. We don't know. We, don't, we can't even work out. Like these scientists, they're hitting their head and trying to work out the structure of an atom and they're still going. They're still, every so often they might discover, oh, there's some other parts of the atom. And they don't even know. And then they say, but there's still more that we don't know. So these dodos who don't, have any idea of really the things of the universe which God created, but they're going to try and work out the ways of God who is the creator. That's, that doesn't go. And we shouldn't do that too because that's a sign of pride and it's, um, it's the devil which actually is putting a lot of these thoughts into our minds to say, why this, why that, why this, why that? Now, 
let's go through how St. Paisius was disciplined and let's see what he says, because his father disciplined him different to what his mother did. As much as they can, parents should stop themselves from beating their children. Through kindness and patience, they should try to help their children understand, there it is again, understand that what they're doing is wrong. Only when children are very young and they don't understand what they're trying to do is dangerous, then it may help to give a little slap. And that will make them avoid the next time whatever it is they are doing. The fear of getting another slap serves as a break, as a restraint for protection. We've already read all that. It's a different part. When I was little, when I was young, my mother was more helpful to me than my father. Both of them loved me and wanted only what was good for me. Each one helped me in their own way. My father was strict. Whenever we, as small children, did something bad, he slapped us. I could feel the sting of the slap and would restrain myself for a while. But when the pain passed, I would forget both the pain and my father's advice. It wasn't that he didn't love me. He gave me these slaps out of love. I remember one time when my father gave me a slap, I was three years old, that sent me flying across the room. I didn't put the whole story. What happened was a man was walking along and there was a house that the people weren't living there, they were away, and there was fig, there was a fig tree, and the man said to St. Paisios, I'll put you on my back and you grab the, the figs, and so he stole them, and the saint ate some too. And the father didn't like that, got very, very upset. Did he get irritated? Did he do it out of ego? Like all the reasons I said before, what was the other reasons? Ego, um, I want my child to be good so everyone can look at me. The other one was stubbornness, that he's, I'm going to break him, he's not going to do that again. So what was the other one? Um, irritation. And number four, I don't want people to say that my child is bad. Four or that. Is that why the saint's father did hit him? I would say no, because the saint specifically saying he did it out of love. Those other reasons aren't love. This was love. This is the way the father believed, I don't want my child to grow up to be a thief. I don't want my child to be bad. And because this is God's law, he shouldn't steal. So he slapped him and he sent him across the room. That's love. Now, the way it was done, that way... The saint's going to say later on he didn't think it's, it works very well. However, the father had love in his heart. That's different to the reason why a lot of parents today hit their children. I started crying. My mother, who was present, turned and told him, why are you slapping the child? I like this part. I underlined it. Why are you slapping the child? Because a lot of parents say the mother's abusive. The father says nothing. Sometimes the father's abusive. The mother says nothing. I don't like that. Like I had a situation where the father was very abusive to the children and the woman said nothing for years. And now she says, what did I do? What did I do? I never spoke up. I never spoke up. I should have put my foot down. I should have said, leave them alone. But she didn't. So um, this, this is a good example where she's saying, why are you doing this to the child? What did he know? The mother said. He's only a child. How can you stand it hearing him cry? But my father explained his reasoning to the mother and said, 
if he had cried when the man lifted him up to pick the figs, he wouldn't be crying now. He should have said, no, no, I don't want to pick the figs. But, but he didn't. He went up and picked the figs. And the father said, now he's going to cry. But it seems that he too wanted to eat some of the figs, the father saying. So let him cry now. I didn't dare do it again, said the, the saint. My mother also noted my mischief when he do bad things. But she had a certain noble spirit about her. When I did something naughty, she would turn her face away and pretend not to see me so as not to make me sad by having to scold or reprimand me. But this behaviour of hers would break my heart. It made me think, look, I did this bad thing and my mother not only does not punish me, she also pretends not to even see me. I'll never do this again. How can I upset her like this? With her, um, with her stance, my mother was able to help me even more than if she had slapped me. But then again, I didn't take advantage of the situation by thinking, oh, well, she's not seeing me now. I can do something more mischievous. Whereas with my father, the moment I did something wrong, I got slapped right then and there. You see, they both love me, but it was my mother's noble stance that corrected me the most. And it's true, some children could take advantage of that and say, oh, she didn't see me or she pretends not to see me, and take advantage. In that case, you've got to do something differently. But this mother, because she breastfed him for many years, there was a connection. Remember he said, the women in my village used to breastfeed to six years old. So he was connected with the mother. So when he saw the mother was upset with what he was doing, that wounded him. But today when the children see their parents wounded, they don't care a lot of them unless there's a connection. And most kids are not connected to their parents because of the feminists, because of the way they've been brought up in society. Summary. Parents should avoid hitting their children. Parents can lightly spank their children when they are very young and don't understand. When children begin to understand, parents must sit down with them and patiently explain things in a simple way. Parents must not discipline their children out of ego, glory, stubbornness, embarrassment or anger and irritation. Beaten children can cause serious psychological, emotional and demonic problems. Reprimanding children excessively can cause the same problems. Spouses and others should speak up and defend children who are being harshly mistreated by the other spouse. We've left now the discipline, the excessive discipline. We saw the solution. Love, affection, attention, explaining, etc. Connection. Connect with your child. Not all... When the father says, for example, oh, when my child gets uh, seven or eight, we can play football and basketball. Too late. Too late. Most probably the child will throw the, the, the football on your head to get back at you. The mother is most important for the first few years. Sometimes the fathers get jealous, like babies. They say, oh, he always runs to you, obviously. He's only a couple of years old. The child's always going to be connected to the mother unless she ignored him and then 
connected to the father. But the child will always be connected to the mother for the first, you know, six, seven years. When it gets a bit older, that's when they start. And that's why the Aboriginals and other natives, when the child gets eight, nine, then they start going with the father to go and hunt and all those things that they do. You see? So that's part of society. That's how civilizations work. The mother took care of the child for the first years. So that's why when I was taken to school at five and one month, um, I wasn't the four and a half one because my birthday was in December, so I started in January. And all I remember, I remember a few things. The first thing was going to the school and we were sitting there and there was all these people I didn't understand. And then later on, my mother left. And she went at the door, and you know how they got the the high windows? So I saw her face there at the window, and then she left. And I know that I went berserk, I went crazy, and then I don't remember. How come I don't remember? I don't remember anything. I don't remember the rest of the day, I don't remember anything. I think it starts with T, it's called trauma. And when the child's four and a half, it's even worse. These are affecting the children, traumatising them. They need the mother. They want to be close to the mother. There's studies, which I was explaining to the couple here, about studies that in um, most countries in Europe, the children start school at six to seven And in some countries, it's eight. Maybe the first year they do activities. No, you put the ruler here and put the line there and write your name at four and a half years old. And then because it can't write the name because it's not even coordinated, um, then they say, oh, it's got learning problems. It's got to go to special classes. And then later on, the kid grows up thinking it's dumb. But it was not because it's dumb. It's because it's four and a half. But other kids did it. Yeah, maybe 1.1%, maybe, I don't know, maybe a few. But in general, they can't do it. And now it's even gone worse in Western society, where they say, where parents say, I want my child to go to preschool, or what they call it, daycare, whatever they call them, so they can learn to write their name and read a little bit before they go to school at four and a half, five. Crazy. That's it. These people are, I know it's bad to say, I mean, you might say it's, it's, it's not nice, but to me, they're like monsters. I really do. I really think they're monsters. I know that some of them are ignorant, they don't know, but when, you know, it's just to me the cruelest thing you can do. You can always tell when I meet people, you can see they're, they're nervous, all the time nervous, anxiety. And I can always pick them. I go, how old were you when you started school? Four and a half. Next one comes along. Agitated, looking around, they're just all nervous. How old were you? Four years, four months. Because sometimes they even let them in earlier. And now it's starting to come out research and saying to the feminists, get lost. We're not going to be bullied by you anymore. We're going to say the truth. And the truth is that 
the later the children start, because in, in, in Australia or New South Wales, it's six years old. You can keep your child to six years old, but six years old is much more mature. It's still young, but much more mature. They even had a, some, some um, football guy who goes and recruits kids, some famous, I've got it now, sort on current affairs, and he actually said that the children who um, started doing football practice, whatever it was, at very young ages, he goes, they never turn out good. We want them older. And then there was a principal, an ex-principal, who actually said that children who start school early never recover. Never recover psychologically and never recover academically. They're always behind. He says, compared to the kids that were older, the ones that are younger, there. This, is all, this is all trauma. This is all, to me, this is abuse. This is child abuse. And I've got a lot of research on it, a lot, which I want to share with you um, next time or when, soon or when, when, when it clicks. Another, now there's another section. Yeronda. The elder, some children are very naughty, they shout, they run, they break things. How can a parent stop oneself from spanking them? St. Paisus answers, look again, it's not the children's fault. In order to grow normally, children need a yard to run and play. Nowadays, the poor things are closed inside apartment buildings and are under great deal of pressure and stress. They can't run about, they aren't free to play, to enjoy themselves. Parents shouldn't worry when a child is lively and energetic. A lively child has a lot of energy inside and can make great progress in life if this energy is channeled properly. Now, some of you might say that, no, well, we don't have that problem because we've got a backyard. And that's true. But look what he says, that they need to run and play they need to let out their energy, especially boys. Boys are more energetic. So we take these boys who are growing and full of energy and we put them in the classroom to listen to a story which they don't even understand. You know, Jack went up the beanstalk and then it grew, the beanstalk grew. But I don't remember any stories when I was young. I remember being traumatised. Actually, I hated school. And most people that I've dealt with for years and years, when they open up, which I thought they might have liked school, they all open up and say, I hated school. That's where their problems, a lot of their problems began. And so boys, especially, but all children, are lively and energetic. And St. Paisio says, don't worry about that. That's good. That's good. They've got life. They're not just dead. And a lot of parents say, this is negative. This is a negative thing for the child to be too lively because it gives me a headache or gives me, makes me upset. And then he says, channel it, channel the energy. If you are on the child saying, don't do this, don't do that, these are even in your home. So they're not in the backyard, they're in the house. Go do your homework. Go learn to write your name at four and a half. Go in your room. You've got to learn 10 words tonight. So the children have been confined. Some in front of the computers, playing games. Are they going to learn, the parents say. Look, they can do these really complicated puzzles. 
and they're going to learn. And what do we know from research? They do learn to be stupid. They actually learn to be dumb. Elder, another person asks, the child of a friend of mine is constantly naughty. The child shouts and hits others. What is to blame? What should my friend do? He answers similar. Look, the children are not to blame. Again, he says that all the time. Today they have, they have been closed up in apartment buildings and they don't have an area to run to play. The children are pressured. They can't move. That's very important, that word. I actually put stars next to it. They can't move. Similar to school. What happens? Who gets in trouble the most at school? The boys. And who used to get caned the most at school when they were back in the old days? The boys. The boys were always considered as bad, disgusting things. A lot of teachers said, oh, can't stand teaching boys. They just, they don't sit down. They can't sit down. Obviously they can't sit down. So it's like worse than being in an apartment building. That's why I'm using these apartments. Because some of you, most of you don't have apartment buildings. And if you do, you've got to, you've got to, that's even more serious. But when you're confining your children in, in a school situation, young, when, when they need to explore so their brains can develop, that's child abuse. They go crazy and hit their heads against the wall. For children to grow naturally, they need a yard. And I left one part out. They can't move. They haven't got outlets for their energy. A boy, especially, but even the girls, a boy does not have outlets for its energy if it has to sit in the classroom for a couple of hours. They're just, they're going. They've got testosterone. They're going, they're going. And don't do that. Sit in the corner. I'm going to talk. tell your parents. Go to the principal. What is that, what is, how does that child grow up to be? It's going to think that it's just a bad child. Oh, I'm bad. I'm bad at school. I'm bad. And he believes that he's bad. And then he does crimes. So, well, that's, if he's been told he's bad all his life, obviously he's going to, he's going to um, do bad things. In a Melbourne primary school... They noticed that because of the curriculum in the schools from the feminists who have a lot of power in the education department, they started changing the subjects to be more girl-orientated, not boy-orientated, because boys can't be boys because that's bad. We don't want boys to be masculine and manly. We want them to be like girls or whatever they want. And so, therefore, a lot of the curriculum, the subjects, were all geared towards the girls. And what happened was that a lot of the psychologists started noticing the boys are growing up disturbed, feminised, and a mess. So what they did in one school is they introduced subjects that were more boyish, because remember, the feminists want us to believe that there's no difference between the genders. I did all this in Talk 65. That it's all the same. And that's why they're in some schools in America. I think they want to do it here too. They don't want to use boy-girl. They want to use things like frogs or whatever to refer to the kids. Come on, little frogs. Because they don't want to say, come on, boys and girls. Plus, you can say children. 
you can't use the... They are. They're actually using things like that. And you, they can't use because of this transgenderism um, psychopathic stuff that they've got now. Transgenderism, where they're telling the kids from young, it doesn't matter, you know, if you want to be a girl today, you can be a girl. Tomorrow you can be a boy, right? The next day you can be an animal, whatever. But this is what they're telling them. And you don't have to use boys' toilets, you can use girls' toilets, depending on what you feel in the day. And you say, oh, that's all horrible. But you're sending your kids to these places. And you go, oh, that's why I send my children to Catholic school. Let me give you an example of a Catholic school. A girl went on an Orthodox camp, and in the group that she was in, and for children, there was all these little 14-year-old girls, and they would talk about their problems. And one girl says, I go to a Catholic school. And she said, and we had to divide up to do some type of um, debate. So the teacher said, those who believe in same-sex marriage over here and those who don't believe in same-sex marriage over here. So this girl didn't believe in same-sex marriage, so she stood over there, and the other, all the kids in a Catholic school believe in same-sex marriage. Then what happened was that the kids who believed in the same-sex marriage bullied the one who didn't believe in the same-sex marriage. But remember one thing today. Even if your children don't get molested, they're going to turn out atheists. It's blasphemy. But you might say, but it's immoral, it's immoral in the state schools too. Remember that all those orthodox children that had to go to communist schools in Russia and all these other countries, they learned atheism. And many of them now are returning to the church in their millions. But wherever children are indoctrinated by Catholics and Protestants, very difficult to change. I'll tell you a secret. I've done a lot of talks when I was younger, even as a layperson, and I used to have groups. There was a lot of young people. And if the kids were, went to a state school and they learned to be like pagans and they learned about sex or whatever, all these things, when I'd speak, they were glued. But I noticed some kids were like these blank faces looking at me, like there was like a disbelief. It's like, what are you talking about? So I went and asked, what school do you go to? Oh, I go to Maris Brothers Catholic School, dead as a doornail. And that's why many of our saints, St. Ignatius Branchininov, say the following. It's easier to convert an Orthodox Christian who has fallen into sins back to Orthodoxy than a person who's gone into heresy. A person who's gone into heresy is cut off from God. A person who's fallen into sins, they still can come back to God. And that's why we hear about the saints, where one saint, uh, some people went up to him to bother him and said, you're a fornicator. He goes, I am. You're a thief. I am. You're a liar. I am. You're a heretic. No, 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 not that. And then they said to him, why did you say yes to all the rest? He goes, the rest don't cut me off from God. I can still come back. But heresy cuts me off from God. Right? And that is something that you have to know. St. Paisios, I just was reading book five, on which we got at the back, volume five on passions and virtue, I think it was called. And in there towards the back, 
he had some Catholics come to him, I think they were clergy, and they said, um, let's do the Our Father together. He says, no, I can't because we don't have unity of faith. He goes, you've got no love, that's not love. You've got to love. And he says, in the name of love, people are building bombs and killing people today. So St. Paisus refused to say the Our Father. But we send our children to school not only to say Our Father every morning in class, but to also repeat the creed. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, and then they add, and the Son. And that's heresy. We have millions of Christians who died not to accept that creed. We have millions of Orthodox Christians that died never to pray with heretics. But yet our children go and learn these things. And on top of that, they go to their church services. Now, I've heard people say, oh, mine don't have to go to that. They don't have to go to that. So I was in the car one day and I just said to the driver, put on the, that talk radio stuff. And uh, he put it on. And what was the topic? Catholic schools. They had a representative from the Catholic school. He says, oh, we invite anyone to come to the Catholic school, but they must do Catholic religious lessons and they must attend church. Now, we all know from the canons of the church and from the fathers, etc., that anyone who prays with heretics, later on if they come back, they must be chrismated. Like, you know, when you baptise the child, they don't get re-baptised. Baptism is not repeated. But the chrismation is, when the priest says, the seal of the Holy Spirit and anoints the child with myrrh on all parts of the body. And what happens is that when a child or a person gets mixed up with heresy, they lose the Holy Spirit and they have to be chrismated again. Now, a lot of priests don't do that. They don't know about it. But you read in the lives of saints and they'll tell you that even kids who were converted by force when they were children, and they never consciously said that they be, oh, I'm going to become a Muslim. They were one or two years old, they were kidnapped. They were made. Later on they found out they were Orthodox, Greek or something, and they, and they came back, they went to Mount Alphys, and they said, sorry, but you have to be chrismated. But, but I never, well, I didn't say I'm going to become Muslim, I was young. They go, it doesn't matter because you participated in the rituals of the heterodox. St. Paisus even goes further. There are many people who have been mixed up in Eastern religions, Hindus, Buddhism and all that. He says they all need to be cremated as well because they've partaken in rituals. When they stand in front of a Buddha, when they put flowers in front of things or eat oranges that have been put there, all these are rituals. They lose grace. So yes, the state schools are bad. I prefer homeschooling or keep the child as much as possible like the Russian Orthodox used to do during communism. It used to be compulsory to send your children to school. They couldn't get out of it. Like, like today we've got homeschooling. And what they did is they tried to keep the children back as much as possible. So they used to try and send them around eight or older. As much as possible they used to keep the children because they knew that the more they were educated from their parents, the stronger they would become and the less they will be able to be influenced by the atheists. But atheism is lighter, is lighter than heresy.
all new to you, isn't it? And some will say, he talks about these Catholic schools in this all the time. Of course I do. Because people are going to these places with the blessing of their parish priest. It's even worse. Oh, Father, can I have a blessing to send my kid to Catholic school? Of course you can. Yes, off you go. Who cares about the saints that died not to um, send their children near these people? That doesn't matter. Does that mean we hate them? No, we don't hate them. We hate lies. And that's all lies. That's all heresy. And the saints died for one iota, which means one yota in Greek. Iota, I. As you know, in the times of St. Athanasius the Great with the devil Arius, where the Arians added the letter I to the word homoousios. By adding I, it means that Christ was not born equal to God. Because Arius said that Christ was born human, a special human. And St. Athanasius said no. And there was all this commotion in the Byzantine Empire at that time. People were being killed in their thousands because the Arians took over a lot of the churches. And Arius' mother asked the devil, Arius, listen, my son, who is right? Tell me the truth. Who's right? Athanasius or you? And he says, mum or mummy or whatever he told her, um, he's correct, but I can't go back. A heretic will never, ever admit that they're wrong. St. Paisius talks about that too and all the saints. And then later on he tricked the emperor, I think it was Constantine the Great. He said to him, I want to serve because I excommunicated him in the First Ecumenical Council. And he says, I want to serve. I want to be reconciled back to the church. And St. Constantine says, do you believe what we believe, what the authors believe? He goes, I believe what's in here. And in here, he had the creed, he had the, the dogma that Christ was born as a human only. When we know that God was born as man and God. And he said, I believe what's in here. So he tricked St. Constantine. And one of the saints, the patriarch at the time, I forgot his name, and he, he knew that um, Arius has not changed. And the emperor, Constantine the Great, ordered him and said, you will serve with him. And what happened was that the saint got very upset and was crying. and goes, I don't want to serve with him. I don't want to serve with him. And he was praying all night. God, please help me not to serve with the heretic. I don't want to serve with him. And what happened was on the way to the church where Arius was there for all his followers in glory and saying, we won, we won. And then Arius got some stomach pains. And then he went to the public toilet there. And then he took a long time. And then his people said, what's wrong, what's wrong? They went there, knocked on the door. Are you all right? Are you all right? They opened the door and there he was. His bowels had burst open and it was all mixed with blood and feces. And that's the way he died. Very difficult for heretics to change. When you send your children to heretical um, situations, it's child abuse. You are cutting them off from God. But they can learn drugs. They can learn drugs at the public school. Don't worry, there's plenty of drugs in the Catholic school. Speak to your children, those of you who send them to Catholic school. You'll find out they're taking drugs, having sex. It's all the same. The only difference is they've got a couple of statues around the place and they do some prayers together and become possessed. That's the main difference.
I went to a state school. I learnt bad things. A lot of you went to state schools, learnt bad things. Give me a child from a state school any day. I'll sit with them, I'll talk with them, and most of the time, unless there really something's wrong, I always feel a connection. I can always tell when I'm talking to someone that I'm connected. I can feel their soul has been um, touched by God's word. The heretics make faces. There was once a child, Greek, he was going to a Catholic school, and as I was talking to him, he was going, making all these faces. <laughs> it's not... F- he was making faces. Like the one way was up, one way was down, this, that. I don't, was go- I, was, I don't know what was going on. He was distorted. Now you might say, I know some people that went to the Catholic schools and they're good people. They're good people. As the saints say, hell will be full of good people, but heaven is full of good Christians, orthodox Christians. You don't know if they're good. Those, who have, those of them who have been through those schools usually end up um, quite antagonistic to orthodoxy, even if they go to church. When you get down to the itty-gritty of orthodoxy, they reject it. They don't like it. They've got their own way of thinking because these heretical schools produce atheism more than atheistic schools. And I'm going to do a talk, God willing, one day, dedicated on all that. When you send your kids to these schools, remember one thing. You're spitting at, it's like you're spitting or kicking the icons or the saints, or the saints and the icons, who died not to mix with heresy. And some of the Orthodox schools aren't very good too. One, one child went to an Orthodox school and within a few days he, had to, he, took, he brought a permission slip home to go for an excursion to a Buddhist temple. And then they were doing some colouring in of some icons. So colouring in and this child was brought up in a Christian family so he knew that you don't throw icons in the bin. You, you know, you've got to be careful. I don't like kids colouring icons. It's not proper. They can colour in trees, not icons. Anyway, because it's, it's like they're equating a, a house they're colouring in with an icon. Icon's holy. Meant to be venerated, not to put pencils all over it. So some children went up to the teacher and said, oh, Miss, Miss, what do we do with these, um, icon, with these pictures? She goes, oh, just throw them in the bin. It's an orthodox school. So what do you do? I think homeschooling is the best. And then as the child gets older and more mature, they go to TAFE, they go to uni, they don't miss out. If they've got intelligence, they become stronger. Believe you me, they become stronger. In other words, elder, elder, children live in apartment buildings, develop psychological problems. Yes, if they are constrained and pressured, it is much better for them to have a yard. It's more natural. You see, a house which has children who are all in perfect order, it's not good. It means that they must be using army-like discipline. There is, a f- there is fear in the souls of the children. 
It's better for the mother to occupy herself with the upbringing of her children, to speak to them, to read to them about the saints, about Christ, rather than occupying herself with order in the house and lifeless things. So he's saying here that when people are in a situation where everything's in order and the children are in order, like they don't move, parents like that must have used a lot of force to do that. And we know that some women in particular, some men, they're very neurotic, they want their place to be clean and in order. You can't have that. When you have a child, once it starts walking around, you've got to say goodbye to the neat house. That's it. It won't be neat. You've got children now. You think you're going to have the same house as what you had when you first got married? When you're there, it's all nice, neat. Yes, there's going to be pencil marks on the wall. Yes, there's going to be some rips in the, in the couch. Yes, there's going to be um, vomit on the carpets. But that's it. That's the joys of having children. If you're going to have like an army where everything's perfect, then you're going to have psychologically disturbed children. And he says there, spend time with the children. I love this. It's better for the mother to occupy herself with the upbringing of her children, to speak to them, to read to them about the saints, about Christ, rather than occupying herself with her house, with all these things that have no meaning. You can read little stories too. I like safe things. Another part, he says, the father comes home, sits in his comfortable chair, opens the newspaper, doesn't spend any time with his children. His child comes near him and instead of speaking or caressing the child, I love that one, speaking to the child, hugging the child, kissing the child, he shoes the child away, leave me alone, I'm tired or whatever, I'm reading the newspaper. Meanwhile, the mother is busy getting dinner ready and so neither can she spend some time with the children. When this becomes part of everyday life, obviously it's going to happen that the mother can't, while she's cooking, play with the children, unless she's an octopus and she's got a lot of arms, <laughs> of, of, obviously. But um, in general, if this happens all the time, where the children are not getting any attention, hardly anything, when this becomes part of everyday life, children grow up deprived of love deprived of love and if they haven't been given love what did we learn today they can't give love how many of us were ignored when we were young i remember that mother once i was this this very interesting so the child was saying mummy can you play with me so the mother sat down on the on the ground we're playing a bit he goes mummy play with me and she goes i am and then she was playing play with me and she says, I am, what's wrong? The child, very good psychologist, the child knew that her heart wasn't in it at all. She was just doing it there just for the eyes, just to, just to pretend that she's a good mother. Nothing in her heart at all. And the child said, you're not. That's what I am. So it's back and forth. If she was honest, she should have realised and said, it wasn't in my heart. Like a relative of mine that... Her daughter said, um, look, mummy, look what I've done at school today. And the mother's in the kitchen. Oh, that's, uh, what was her name? Let's just make her name Helen. And say, oh, that's good, Helen. And that was it. That's good, Helen. 
I don't think she even looked at what, what the child did. These are all damaging things. A woman said to me, thank you, thank you, thank you that you encouraged me not to get married because I'm so selfish I wouldn't have given any time to my children. Now that's a sin. But I said to her, a thousand blessings that you will get for not putting your children through that. Yes, you're selfish. That's between you and God. That's it. That's you. But when you have children and a husband or a wife, then that's really bad. Some people go to a house and they see the, the mother, the father, and say they're not taking care of the children properly. And they go there and they start playing with the children or having some time with the children and the parents go, wow, you're so good with the children. You're really, really good. They listen to you, they play with you, etc. And the person gets proud and says, yeah, I'm really, really good. So they come and tell me that this and that. I said, yeah, you're good when you can go home and sleep in your comfortable bed by yourself, when you haven't got them around 24-7. Then you're good. And they said, well, some people are honest. They go, yeah, you're right. I can do it for a little bit, but after that, I want them out of my life. Parents don't, can't have that. Got them all the time. So if, a, so if a person is not full of love when they get married, then it's going to be a failure. So if you notice that you want to marry a girl or marry a guy and you notice that there's nothing there, then at the end, they're not going to give any attention to your children and it's going to be a disaster or, and they're not going to give it to you. Oh, but, but my fiancé, he gives me so much attention. He bought me a nice ring. He took me for dinner. He's bought me nice clothes. Yes, 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 I understand that. But once you get married, once the responsibilities come in, that's where all the crack up starts. That's when, they, that's when you start noticing that the person can't cope with anything. And when the children come, it's like, um, I'm sorry to use the expression, hell on earth. It's like they're in a war zone. So when people showing you a lot of love before you get married, don't be tricked. Don't get dazzled by those golden rings. <laughs> what are you going to do for the ring when he's not helping you at all at home? Or when she's not even cooking? When you've got to go take her breakfast in bed every day? And that's, what, and that's when she's not even sick. And when she's sick, obviously you can take breakfast in bed, special occasions. Here, love, you know, happy anniversary. We've been married now for 10 years. I'm going to make you breakfast. It's nice. One man wanted to take his wife for our anniversary for 20 years of marriage. He goes, I want to take you on, well, let's go for a holiday. And then the woman said, what for? 20 years of torment. <laughs> 20 years, that's what she said, 20 years of torment. She says, you haven't helped me at all. That's what a woman, when, when the husband's 
like that selfish and lazy and irresponsible, women hate the men. They truly do. But when the man is responsible, when the man is helping, caring, and the head of the family in the proper way, sacrificing, the, the, the women are attracted to them in all ways. That's why people say, oh, I'm not even attracted sexually. Because the man is irresponsible. And if you read that when the man is being responsible and manly and is uh, the head of the family, this makes the woman to be attracted to him. Those problems that a lot of people are finding now in marriages, where they say oh, our sex life's bad, all this stuff, a lot of that comes from irresponsibility. A man needs to be a man and a woman needs to be a woman. Everyone has to know their function. The man has to be the head of the family. And I've gone through this in talk 66 when I did on the feminisms and all that. A man is the head of the family because he loves the family and he'll be ready to die for the family. He sacrifices for the family. That's what the head means. That's what an abbot means. That's what the bishop means. They go, oh, why should the bishop get all this respect? Because he's responsible for all those people. Children imitate their parents, this is St. Paisios, children imitate their parents even from the cradle. They pick up everything they see the adults doing and record it on their empty cassette tape, written years ago. Um, this is why parents should struggle to cut away the pas their passions. It doesn't matter if some of these passions were inherited from their own parents. They will still have to give an account to God not only for not struggling to rid themselves of these passions, but also for being responsible in transmitting them to their children. All of us have passions. Whether you become a monastic, you come to the monastery with passions. Whether you're um, a, a woman or a man, when you come to the marriage, you come with passions. That's what Christianity is about, the uprooting of these passions we're the only ones that say that. Our religion is the only religion which talks about the uprooting of the passions and that all the rest of some external be good. Orthodoxy is not like that. And that's what Christianity is about, is struggling. And he, what the saint's saying is, if you don't struggle with your passions, your children are going to imitate. They're going to see what you're doing. If you get angry or if you've got all these problems, the child's going to imitate when you're going to give word. St. Porfirios, same thing. Generally, the parents are to blame for the bad behaviour of their children and their behaviour is not improved by reprimands, discipline or strictness. If parents do not pursue a life of holiness and if they don't engage in spiritual struggle, they make great mistakes and transmit, same word, the faults they have within them to their children. So he says... Your child's got a problem. It's got a fault. And you're reprimanding the child. You're disciplining the child. You're being strict with the child. But wake up. 
what the child is doing a lot of times is what they learnt from you. You're at fault. You're the one that taught that child to do that. And on top of that, you're going to hit it or reprimand it. Now, there's two things here. They both use the word transmit. St. Paisius says when the child sees the parents doing wrong, they'll imitate it. Now, St. Porfirius doesn't actually say see. He just says transmits their mistakes. The parents transmit their great mistakes to the children. He doesn't specifically say that they observe it. Now, I want to look at this and tell you something which is important. Parents transmit their faults, their passions to their children in two ways. One, through the kids looking at their parents and imitating them. And the second way is mystically. In a, it's a spiritual transfer. There was a woman who had a problem with lying, but she never lied in front of her children. She just had a problem with lying, but her children never knew. Then her children started lying as well. And she asked, how did that happen? They never saw me lie. And I said, it's spiritual. You can transfer your, your passions to your children spiritually. Children can acquire faults and passions in four ways. One, hereditary. We've said that. Two, from the womb, through traumas, etc. Number three, transmitted spiritually from their parents or transmitted from their parents through the children looking at them and copying them. There's many ways why children uh, are the way they are. Hereditary, not necessarily the parents' fault, but you have to understand that the child's got hereditary problems or from the womb or that it's your fault because the child's looking at you and imitating you or four, the evil in you is being transmitted to your kids. That's why you've got to struggle. There's a nice prayer in that book there on the sickness of a child, a canon for a sickness of a child, which you should buy and read every day if you can. And even if a child's not sick physically, it could be sick mentally, it could be sick from the passion spiritually. You always pray for your children for healing. And it says, Give me the grace to beware in every way of causing temptation for my children by my behaviour. And even if your children are big, even if, even if they're a bit older, teenagers, you can still read it because they're still your children and you still need to pray for them. And, they, and, they're going, and there were quite a lot of passions and problems over the years. So they might not be physically unwell, but a lot of them are mentally unwell, emotionally unwell, spiritually unwell. So, this, so we've said all that. So... Um, Elder, what if someone is burdened with inherited passions? St. Paisius answers. This is interesting because I never really understood it properly myself. Each person has hereditary qualities, both good and evil. People are born into this world with good qualities and bad qualities. One must struggle to be delivered from his weaknesses and cultivate what is good in him in order to become a true, grace-filled image of God. So our job as Christians is to fight 
is to struggle against the negative part of our, what's in our soul and to cultivate the good, not to make it increase. The negative inherited traits are not a hindrance in spiritual progress. Does that sound logical to you? The negative traits, which I call habits, defective personalities, passions, he says they're not a hindrance. Well, how can it not be a hindrance? If I'm getting angry all the time, or if I've got jealousy, or if I've got hate, how is that not a hindrance? So what does he mean? We're going to enter into spiritual tonight. All unpleasant inherited traits are dispelled by the grace of God. So number one, if you've got negative, they can be uprooted. God can take them away with struggle. Sometimes the struggle takes many years. But it's not a, I still want to go on to this hindrance. How is it not a hindrance? Now, God is greatly moved and indeed helps the one who may have inherited negative traits but is struggling to be free of them. God is greatly moved. God, God is pleased with that. He loves that. He, when he sees a person, a Christian, who's trying to uproot the passions in them, he loves that. I know many people who, the saint goes on, with their own small amount of effort and the great help of God, were delivered from their bad inherited traits. In God's eyes, these people are great heroes, for what moves God is the work we do on the old man within, meaning the, on the old man, meaning the passions within ourselves, which we call the old man. And we have to become a, the new man, which is to become Christ-like. But he says here, in God's eyes, this is now how God looks at this. He says, St. Paisua says, that in, for God... These people are great heroes. For what moves God is the work we do on the old man within. And I want you to remember one thing that he said here. God is pleased when someone puts a small amount of effort. That's all we need. Just some effort. And then God gives a great amount of help. That's the thing. People think that God's got to put in this extraordinary effort. All God wants he knows that we've been born in these difficult times. He knows a lot of us are disabled mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We can't give too much. We can't do much fasting. We can't do much prayer. Even the monastics today, most of them can't do much. They do more than lay people, but they, they do hardly anything compared to what the monastics of old did. But... The fathers say, in God's eyes, those monastics will be greater than St. Anthony and all these great ascetical saints. How can that be? Because they were living in times when Christianity was stronger and these modern society that we're in with television and all these things which damage people didn't exist. So today, a person who does a little bit of struggle, in God's eyes, will be higher than many of the great saints of old, according to the saints. 
So God is greatly moved and he looks at those people as great heroes. What is disgusting, what is demonic, what is horrible is when we do not struggle against our passions. So if we've got selfishness, we just don't give in to it. We say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and sacrifice. Just do a little bit of effort. Once God sees you're doing effort, once God sees you really want to be free from these passions that you've got and that I've got, then he comes along and gives us so much grace. Elder, aren't the bad inherited traits removed by holy baptism? This is a problem which we have with converts, people that are baptised at an older age. They think that once they're baptised, that they're going to become holy, no passions. And then after a while, they're shocked when all the passions that are in them come back full force. And a lot of them fall and give up. When a person is baptised, the saint answers, he is clothed with Christ, delivered from the ancestral sin, and the grace of God dwells in him. However, the bad inherited traits remain. That's the secret. Baptism gives you forgiveness of sins, but God allows the negative traits to stay in us. We are delivered from the ancestral sin. What's that? The sin of Adam and Eve. That's the theological thing there. I'm not going to go into it now. But the main thing is that that's what baptism's about. Our passions and personality problems and all these things, they don't go away. Then the saint says the following, very powerful. Perhaps you don't think that God can remove those as well through holy baptism. The saint's saying, do you think that God can't remove the negative traits? Is he powerless that he can't do it? And then the saint answers, he can. He can remove them. But he allows them to remain so that we may struggle and be crowned with victory. The essence of spiritual life, fighting with your passions. Unheard of in the other religions, they don't understand a lot of that stuff. So God allows these passions to stay in us so that we can struggle with them and then for God to give us crowns at the end of our life for struggling and suffering and trying to uproot them. Even if you don't achieve it, that's the secret. Say you've got a passion of selfishness or greed or anger and you're struggling with it and you achieve some progress obviously but then right to the time you die it just was still in you you couldn't get rid of it what happens do you go to hell no god will look at you as a martyr god will give you crowns and say you struggled you suffered all your life saint anthony was asked what has god allowed the devil to bother us saint Peter's not saying i'm saying this so saint anthony was asked why does God allow the devil to torment us, to bother us, to tempt us? And St. Anthony said, if it wasn't for the devil, no one would be saved. 
see what spiritual life is. See, in the world, two plus two is four. That's exact. But in the spiritual life, two plus two might equal five, six, ten, fifteen. We can't, sometimes you say, this is illogical. That's why when people have been brought up in an intellectual way, they listen to this and they go, I can't understand it. Especially if you've gone to a heretical school, forget it. But some of you, I think, are starting to understand. If you open your mind, if you have some humility, and let us all bow down and say that our church has all the answers of what we need for our salvation. If it wasn't for the devil, no one would be saved because no one would struggle. And if no one's struggling, who's, then how are you going to be saved? You've got to struggle to be saved. So God allows. The devil thinks, oh, I'm doing a lot. I'm going, to, I'm going to take people to hell. And he tempts and he loves it. But he's stupid because he doesn't understand that by tempting Christians and Christians struggle back, they become stronger. Elder, when I keep falling into some passion, I say, that's how I was born. That's who I am. How many times have we heard people say that? Maybe we ourselves say it. That's the way I am. I'm not going to change. Then the saint says, that's all we needed to hear. The next thing you'll tell us is that your parents have given you all the weaknesses you have. Whoever says, quote, this is my personality, this is how I was born. I've inherited repulsive traits. I grew up under these conditions. Therefore, I can't correct my, myself. He's, he's like saying, not only are my parents to blame, but God himself is to blame. Because that's how God created me. and That's how I was born. So by doing that, it's wrong and we should never say it. Two things we shouldn't say, two things we learned tonight. One, never blame God and say he's unjust. Number two, don't say that the way we are is because of our parents and because God created us that way. I say, not the saint doesn't say, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I believe that's blasphemy. And then he goes on and says, do you know how troubled I am when I hear such things? This is how one condemns both their parents and God. The moment one begins to think this way, oh, it justifies when I said that I think it's blasphemy. Look what the saint says. The moment one begins to think this way, the grace of God ceases to act within them. We lose grace. We cut off from God like blasphemy does. And that's true. I dealt with so many people who refuse to struggle against their passions. I rang up a fellow once, had a few children there, and I said, and I said to him, you've got to love your wife, you know, struggle. You know, God will help you struggle, love your wife, love your children. And I've been, I was telling that for years. Anyway, and then he's turned around and said to me, I can't. I can't do it. So I said, so what you're telling me is that you're refusing to struggle with those passions. He says, I can't do it. Okay, okay. Well, don't call me, I'll call you. 
is what I said to him. And I never spoke to him again. That's to me, it's blasphemy. But that's not what a priest should do. He should try to help. Yeah, I did. For 10 years. I did. So don't start judging. When a person says, I refuse to struggle with the passions, they cut themselves off from God. They're no longer Orthodox Christians. A bit heavy tonight, isn't it? But I'm, what I'm reading is for myself as well. Don't think I'm looking down at you. I've got my own passions to worry about. I've got plenty. I've got anger issues. Oh, you might see me here nice and meek. Get me on the wrong day. Stay out of the way. We all have passions. And we've got to struggle with them. So if the husband's got an anger issue and then his wife does something and he says, oh, he starts shouting. And as soon as he notices it, just say, sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me. Forgive me, I'm sorry, I just can't. Because people are born this way. Some people are born with a lot of problems. Remember what St. Paisio said? Someone can be brought up and taught by, their, by the father, for example, to kill people. The father was a criminal, so he taught him to kill people. And this, and this man might have, might have been killing like 20, 30 people a day. And then St. Paisio said, then the person comes to his senses and says, this is wrong, this is against God's law. I've got to not do this, I've got to stop. So he puts a struggle in there. And he only kills three people. And then St. Paisio says, in God's eyes, that person could be better than a lot of Orthodox Christians who don't kill people. See, two plus two is ten this time. Same thing, illogical. How does that make sense? We still killed people. Because the passion's so deep in him. And he really put in a, a big effort. And he only killed three people. And in God's eyes, he knows that this person, it's in his blood, basically. It's in his system. And that's how a lot of us are with our passions. We react because of the way we're brought up, our passions, hereditary, whatever the reason is. Men tend to be angry a lot, or women can be angry too. Straight away, come to your senses and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And when your children see that, they would have watched you struggle with a passion that they will remember when they grow, go, get older, to start struggling with their passions. That's why you've got to run to your children and say, what I did was wrong, it's a bit hard for me to stop. Tell them. They understand. It's so powerful, that. Don't hide it and pretend nothing's happened. Need to finish now. Elder, some people say that when a weakness is in the very structure of a person, it cannot be corrected, the saint says. Do you know why they say that? Some people find it advantageous to say that a particular weakness of theirs is a part of their makeup just so that they can justify themselves and make no effort to be delivered from it. 
If someone's got a passion of selfishness and doesn't want to wake up when the baby's crying because he's lazy and just lets the wife get up, that's selfish. Got to have, you know, you got to share, you got to help. And the person goes, oh, that's the way I am. I can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's advantage. That way you can sleep longer. It's an advantage. Or some people that have pornography problems, they go, oh, that's the way I am. I can't stop because they like it. Or some people that are committing adultery, oh, I can't stop because they don't want to stop. There's a lot of reasons that people, they say, they're taking advantage and they say, no, I can't help it, it's too much. They make no effort to be delivered from their passion. Such people say, God has not granted me any gifts. Another blasphemy. God has not granted me any gifts. It's not my fault. Why do people expect things from me that are beyond my capabilities? This is demonic because we say, we see a Christian and say, look how he is with his children. Oh, that's it. God gave him the gift, but he didn't give it to me. These are really stupid things. Look at that woman. She doesn't speak back to her husband. Oh, that's the, she was born like that. She was, she's got a gift or something. I can't do that. So um, it's beyond my capabilities. See, this is what the devil tells us. You can't struggle. There's no point. I'm dealing with another parent now who's got problems. She's selfish, manipulating. I said, you've got to struggle with that. Basically, she said, I can't. That's the way I am. Bye-bye. Can't do nothing about it. You might say, that's not a nice thing. Don't worry, I tried to help her for 15 years. So is that enough for you, 15 years? I think that's a lot. A lot of the saints used to try a bit and they'd say goodbye earlier. But I was a bit stupid and I suffered longer. They justify themselves content with their thinking and living their life as they always have. How can we ever correct ourselves if we keep on complaining by saying these weaknesses are inherited, they are part of my character, the saints saying. How can we improve? Another person has a problem with ego, doesn't like his faults being said. Doesn't like his faults being said. So he would say, he would say to me, oh, oh, it's very important for me to be close to the monastery and for you to do prayers for my children, guide them, and it's really, really important for me and my children know so much. I can see all the benefits they're receiving from the prayers and from the guidance that you give. They say that to me. And I said, okay, that's, that's good. We'll see how long it lasts. No, no, I'm never going to give that up. I'm not going to give away a treasure like that. So what happened? After many, many years of not wanting his faults said, because of ego, he decided to take his children away and cut them off. Even though he said, this is a treasure, this is such a great blessing. And then... He says, I can't do it because of my ego. He actually admitted it. He actually wrote me and says, I'm sorry, I cannot have any contact with you anymore because I don't like my faults being said. Ego destroyed him 
and destroyed his family because he cannot be told his faults. One person lost it one day. And he said, and he just couldn't stand his faults being said. A lot of people like this. This is the biggest cancer. Ego is the biggest cancer. Prostate cancer, breast cancer, these things are blessings. The worst cancer is this ego. Where we don't want our faults said, we can't admit our mistakes. It destroys marriages. It destroys children. It's the worst thing of them all. Anyway, this person, for years and years and years, just I can't, couldn't stand his faults said. And he slipped it out one day. I'd rather be in hell with the devil than to have my faults said. Who does that sound like? Satan. He knows he's going to go to hell. He knows that. But he can't repent because of ego. He won't repent. So who'd rather go to hell than to say to God sorry? Oh, but that's the demons. But we're humans. We can't be called demons. Sometimes we take on that character. There's still time. That person might change. I pray he does change one day. But that ego is, is destructive. In order to cast out a passion, one should not justify himself, but humble himself instead. If, for example, one says, I have no love, I love that one, I have no love within my nature, but the other person does, jealousy, and makes no effort to acquire this love, how can he ever make progress? There can be no progress without a struggle. That's all God wants, a struggle. Even if you fail, just struggle. Haven't you read in the patristic writings of how many weaknesses some of the Holy Fathers had and of what great spiritual heights they attained? They surpassed others who had a great many virtues. Take, for example, Avamoses, the Ethiopian, a notorious criminal who attained great heights of spirituality, the things the grace of God does. So you've got some saints who grew up in Christian families, who had virtues, and you've got Saint Moses, the Ethiopian, and he was brought up from young to be a thief, to be a criminal. He was horrible. So he, he had no virtue, one can say, in his soul compared to the others, to other saints, for example, who had it a bit easy, some of them. And he struggled with his passion and he repented and he became greater than those who inherited positive traits, virtues. This is what God looks at. He looks at our struggle. That's all. A woman can't stop talking back to her husband, just shout, screaming, nagging all the time. But she knows it's wrong and she's making effort. And instead of shouting ten times, she might shout eight. Great rewards for that person. Might cut down to seven, to six, to five. That's, that's what God looks at. God is not like a teacher. See, when I was teaching, you do a test. You get 30 out of 100, I can't make it higher. That's it, 30 out of 100. I can say good try, I suppose. 
but at the end of the day, you've still got 30. And then someone else gets 90. God doesn't look at marks. He looks at effort. In school, they don't look at the effort. They don't understand it. They only look at the results. You're going to go into university. You're going to knock on the door of the University of New South Wales. Excuse me, can I become a doctor? Look, my teacher wrote good effort. <laughs> I got good effort and I, and I even got a little stamp on my hand when I was in primary school. Sorry, got to do entrance exams. You've got to have science, you've got to have maths, you've got to have all these things. Doesn't my first for participation count? No. But in the church, that's what counts. I think that one who inherited bad traits but struggles to acquire virtues will receive a greater reward than one who has inherited virtues from his parents and doesn't have to struggle to acquire them. I said that before. You see, he had the virtues handed to him, whereas the other had to struggle hard to acquire them. Most of us have a greater appreciation for those who not only struggled hard to pay off debts inherited from their parents, but even created their own fortune, as opposed to those who inherited fortunes from their parents and merely maintained it. So who do we respect more? We've got a man and he, his parents died and they gave him $5 million. Then we have another man whose parents died, they had debts, he paid the parents' debts, and then he made $5 million from his struggles. Who do we look up to more? Obviously the one who struggled, not the one who got, it all, who got it all easy. Actually, people disdain those people. A lot of times there's a lot of jealousy, a lot of things saying, he just got that, he got, he got that from his parents, he didn't do anything to get it. So it's a bit of a thing that's the same in the church. I think that's it. Um, I got up to page 25. I had 45 to do. But sometimes I say, is 45 pages enough? I'm worried. I say, maybe I'll run out of things to say. I'm always scared that I'm going to run out of things to say. I say, I suppose I can ask people questions, but you know, maybe I'll go through it too quick. But obviously, with my mouth... I don't go through things very quickly. But I think people appreciate the um, detail. So the summary for that section, every person inherits good and bad traits, that is, habits, personalities and passions are the bad traits and virtues are the good traits from their parents. We must not justify our negative traits by saying this is how I was born, this is who I am, this is my personality. God allows negative traits to remain after baptism so that we may struggle and be crowned with victory. We can be freed from our negative traits by spiritual struggle and especially the grace of God. 1% our struggle, 1 million percent God's grace. That's all, just a little tiny bit of struggle and God will give us so much grace. Those who struggle against their inherited traits will receive more reward than those who inherited virtues and that's it oh not too late okay stand up the next talk god willing part four will be the second week after pascha
which would be myrrh bearers, hands up those who felt that the talk made them hopeless. Positive? More, all of you, I hope. That's good. I think it was positive. I can't give any more positive than that. The talk today was full of hope. If you did become hopeless, I think that that's just ego, that you don't want to struggle. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and save us. Amen.